Hey guys, it's Matt, and I am going to remind you about the benefits of our new sponsor, Sports Suds. So you'll remember last week, I talked about its ability to actually eliminate the food source for all the bacteria that builds up in your clothes. Uh, if you missed that, go back and check out my terrifyingly gross analogy in the intro. Well, I just wanted to point out that it does all of this while being made from all natural materials, and it's sustainably sourced on top of that. I know that a lot of the guys that listen to this podcast are stewards of the land. They're considering themselves true conservationists. I just want to make sure that they understand that, you know, you don't want to impact the environment more than you truly have to. And you don't have to worry about that with sports suds. Uh, It turns out that Mother Earth gave us all the materials we needed right here. So that's great. I'd also like to take a moment to remind everyone about the UV light reflection. Uh, I did some more research on that and what it actually looks like to animals. Uh, Yikes. It is, uh, it's like turning on a black light in the gross part of the bathroom that you always mean to clean up, but you never do. Uh, This is a way bigger deal than I realized. Uh, But once again, this isn't anything you have to worry about if you're washing that perfectly picked out camo with sports suds spoiler you can use uh you can use solid colors too so that's all good so head over to sportsuds.com and use our promo code to get 25 percent off do you remember what it was last week i hope so because if not you're gonna have to stick around to the end of the episode to find out Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the newest episode of Lethal Podcast. In this week's episode, we were joined by our new friend, Brian Broderick. He is the owner and the founder of Day 6 Gear. Um, buckle up because this is a long one and it's full of really, really good information. We talk a lot about the manufacturing process and how difficult that can be, how complex it is to bring products to market, uh, the engineering that goes into building a system like what Brian has created, and we have a really good discussion about extreme front of center, and we had some pretty opposing views, but there's a lot of common ground there that I think people on both sides of this aisle need to team up on, so we're very excited uh, for you to listen to this episode. As always, if you like the content, feel free to drop us a quick review on iTunes, we really appreciate it, and be sure to check us out on social media with Facebook and Instagram. We are working on YouTube stuff. I don't know when it's going to get done, guys. I'm sorry. We have a lot of other things that are going on and have popped up, so it's kind of taking a backseat. But we do hope to roll out some uh, content there to you guys as well. Uh, be sure to check out some of our new merch uh, we have on the website, www.lethalpodcast.com slash store, I think. You can check it out on the main part. You'll see it. Uh, it's really neat stuff. Garrett's put a lot of work into it. Uh, so send him some love and support the podcast by buying some stuff there if you would like. So anyway, hope you guys enjoy the episode. Here is Brian Broderick with Day 6 Gear. Let's do Let's do the damn thing. So, okay. So I, I, I definitely, I hear the Southern draw for sure. Uh, but, uh, uh, so are you, are you in Alabama? Cause even the phone, the, the, okay. Cause the phone call I got was from somewhere out West, but I can't remember exactly. Uh, Wyoming. Yep. Okay. Oh, All right. Yeah. So I got a Wyoming so, phone and a, and a Alabama phone. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Did <laughs> yeah. you live, did you live in Wyoming or, or no, did, no, I'm how that happened in Alabama, but we, uh, incorporated, uh, day six in Wyoming. Um, oh, gotcha. Where we feel like we'll end up. Uh, full oh, time. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So we, instead of having to move everything, I just went ahead and incorporated out there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, uh, so, and I know we, we talked about it for a, a little bit before we, uh, got to recording, but, uh, so growing up in Alabama, there's a ton of hunting heritage there with some pretty <clears throat> big and high profile people. I didn't, I had no clue that were from, from Alabama. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, there's uh, Howard Hill, of course. Um, that's the big one. We hang our Yeah, he was on. a big deal, I guess. Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> you know, and, just a little. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, there's Byron Ferguson's from here and um, uh, Jerry Simmons, the Simmons Broadheads. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure there's there's more that I'm forgetting. But, uh, yeah, quite a few, quite a few yeah. pretty serious bow hunters from this part of the world. So did. We get a did... lot of practice down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have oh, a man, I real was... target-rich environment. Yes, you do. I'm no kidding. Yeah. Uh, uh, so did those did those guys have a big influence on the kind of stuff that you were shooting when you were younger, as far as like traditional gear and stuff like that? Uh, well, yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, I started hunting with a compound at twelve, so, um, and I was very fortunate to have a, a gentleman in our church that was just, you know, an incredible outdoorsman. Uh, but, you know, back in the early eighties, uh, he was advanced even for now. And so having somebody like that, you know, to kind of mentor you and be, you know, be exposed to someone like that was just such a blessing for me because now this age, everybody is a click away from information from pretty, you know, pretty savvy guys. And back then, right. you know, there was the papes, you know, uh, papes archery catalog, the old black and white print. You know, I mean, yep. it wasn't a, yeah, mm-hmm. you remember that. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you, you were ordering your stuff just kind of on a hope that it was what you thought it was. <laughs> so, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I would, you know, I'd ride my bicycle to the Kmart that was about a mile from our house and buy arrows one at a time and drool over a pack of broadheads. And then every now and then people would return the broadheads and they would be like loose in this little tub on the counter and you could, you know, buy them. Um, and that's how I got all my stuff and started hunting. And then uh, this gentleman kind of brought me along and got me set up the right way. And I was fortunate enough to kill my first, you know, deer when I was 12. So about to turn 13, it was January, you know? And so, um, and then I'd say fast forward to 17. Um, I basically hung out in this hunting and fishing store that was really famous in the South uh, where we live. Mm -hmm. Uh, I basically hung out in there until they hired me. Uh, I was pretty much working there for a year before they started paying me, basically, because I wasn't going to leave. Yeah, I'm hey, pretty Gary, sure that's Gary, just, that sounds familiar. That, that's yeah, just how kidding. it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, I pretty much have to do that. And then a couple of years later, I was kind of heading up the archery department and uh, having to tune bows that weren't meant to be tuned, obviously. But you know, we sorted <laughs> it out. But um, yeah, but I guess I was probably twenty. Uh, it was the last year I worked in the store and we had a guy that was a, he was one of the guys that would come hang out all day. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a, a prison warden. And, um, oh, and he came in one day and he always had a trustee with him that drove him around and he had a new trustee with him. And this guy was from uh, Montana and he was a boyer and he mm-hmm. had an accident with uh, like a drinking and driving accident and got sentenced and was put in, you know, my friend's prison. And when he told him he was a boyer, you know, my, buddy that was a warden immediately made him a trustee 
and they set up a wood shop, started building bows. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really ignorant <laughs> here for a second. What's a what's a trustee? Is that somebody that is like allowed to go around with them to help them? Kind of like a, yeah, a trustee personal is assistant, like a low risk, low flight inmate. So you're like, gotcha. we'll make gotcha. him a trustee. Okay. We're gonna let him outside the fence, and he can go. Gotcha. Cut the warden's yard or whatever you know it's sure just like okay a, that makes a, sense a hall monitor at school you're the good kid you know so that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was so, never a hall monitor yeah so they uh they started building those bows you know out in this little wood shop and uh we were out there every day building bows and then the guys would bring you know the warden and the tr- trustee would build the bring the bows into the shop mm-hmm. and we would set them up and tune them and you know figure out what we did wrong and start over. And <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, I built my first trad bow with those guys um, at 21 and I learned a hard lesson because I wanted to build it out of purple heart and we burn up all the belts and grinders. Yeah. And shapers. Is it real, is so that a real hardwood? Hard yeah. Oh, yeah. The yeah. first and only bow I ever built out of purple heart. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I mean, it, what's funny is, is that, you know, even back then I'd say, Oh gosh, guys, it would have been 96, 1996, 97. We were building, um, uh, bamboo and carbon fiber, uh, limbs. Wow. Uh, I mean, we, we, uh, we had the most amazing performance bows for the day back then that you sure. Yeah. Could possibly well, geez, I mean, was, it, was today. anybody using carbon fiber at that time? Oh yeah, they were, but not many. Okay. Um, All right. But it was it was definitely available, but it was wasn't common. And in, in combination with bamboo, sure. it was not common at all because you couldn't keep them together. Mm. And so, um, but yeah, we we did that for a long time. And and then um, I went to my first shoot. Uh, it was the Howard Hill Classic, and I, I guess it would have been late nineties. And I started seeing that there was a whole other world out there of bows. Mm-hmm. Um, Boyers all over the country, and I just just didn't know, you know. I mean, there was Black Widow, right. and, and oh, well, it's before the internet, yep. right? <laughs> it was before the internet, yeah. yeah. So, um, I wish we were still before the internet, but um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, I started seeing the the other world, and I jumped into the Black Widow thing, and I jumped right back off that. Uh, I didn't like the way they shot it all compared to our bamboo and carbon bows. And- Man, I'm I might catch so much flack for this, and I think that the guys at Black Widow are the, the salt of the earth. They're great guys. I, they're from Missouri. I'm in I'm in Missouri. I've been down to their shop, mm-hmm. but I sh- I shot I went into their shop because I was at a a big shoot down in Southern Missouri, and I went in there the day before and shot probably. 20 other bows wasn't thrilled. Like I just like, like none of them agreed with me. (laughs) I don't know. Like, uh, like they're nice bows and God, they're beautiful, but man, I just like shooting them. I was like, "Eh, like, I don't know. It doesn't really do it for me. Doesn't trip my trigger, I guess. Well, the thing with me back then is they were, they were all, uh, Oh gosh, they were, um, uh, were they all maple back then? Hard rock maple. I don't know. Well, they haven't changed much over the last 20 years. I think that might be a part of the problem. Well, they still use one of those really hard, dense woods. But anyway, back then, mm. you got to realize I was going from a, a bamboo and carbon limb. Yeah, that's a uh, yeah. That. much softer, I would guess. Yeah, and it just, I, it, I couldn't shoot it. And then, um, but I will say that that uh, recently I've shot a few and, I, I, man, I liked them a lot. I mean, I'm not going to change from what I'm shooting. 
because right. I basically built my dreambow. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you, what are you shooting I, right now? A Spartan. A, a, a oh, okay. That, Spartan. You are shooting yeah. a Spartan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I've got, uh, I've got quite a few of them and I just, man, I love them, but, uh, but the new, the new widows weren't bad for me at all. I, I actually liked them a lot. And, um, and I think they're using different core materials and I think they've mm. got everything cut past center shot now. And you got to realize this yeah. was a long time ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they've come a long way, but you know, I went from that. Um, I, I used to shoot a bow that was built in Texas, uh, by uh, Mark Horn, uh, Horn's archery. Hmm, that yeah. was an incredible bow. And Mark just quit building bows and his level of detail and his finish and the performance, he was so ahead of his time. Um, I just, I was just shocked when he stopped building and, um, incredible bows. Uh, and I went from that to a Robertson and then went from Robertson to, uh, I actually had a, um, uh, an, uh, an Adcock, a Will Adcock longbow. You know oh yeah. Those? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you, you know, you'd wait five years to get one, you know? Mm-hmm. And I went through a longbow phase and then <laughs> shot longbows for a while. And then, uh, I don't know, I just, I, I like a recurve. I just went went back to it a few years ago. And that's just, you know, I, I'm kind of stuck, I think, for a while with what I got. I'm pretty happy. Yeah. I want to like longbows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know that feeling. Yeah. I want to like longbows. But every time I shoot one, like when I shoot it, I feel like the second I, I let go that somebody's taking a two by four and just smacking the riser. It's just, there's so much vibration to them. And maybe I've only shot that just not sounds like a bad stellar. Yeah. It, it, and maybe it was, maybe they're just, you know, I mean, they were bears. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't really have a ton to compare them to, but yeah, uh, I, I didn't shoot any of widows longbows when I was down there, but uh, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm also a recurve guy. Long story long. Well, I, I, I can tell you this, the longbows that, that Steve builds at Bushman's Mm -hmm. that hybrid Spartan. Um, that bow, uh, is hand shot bow to bow that reflex defects longbow. He makes, there's no difference between the super curve and the, and the, uh, and that hybrid longbow he makes. Interesting. Uh, They're amazing. And there's only two to three feet per second difference between them. Wow. It is, it is, it's incredible, but you know, the thing about the, the super curve that I like is I like the way I like the draw cycle of it. And mm, that's yeah. what tipped me back into shooting that over that, that you know, hybrid longbow. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, there's performance wise, there's it's, the difference is negligible. He, he probably builds the best longbow I've ever seen. Um, and performance wise, I don't know that anything compares to it. Uh, yeah the super curve what I, I just that that draw cycle feels very natural to me and i like mm-hmm. the last three inches of the cycle oh. that's my yep. favorite part and it just makes yep. me feel super comfortable and i'm very accurate with that so yep yeah yeah the the boyer that rob and i use was he always say rob uh it's the last couple inches is like falling into falling uh, into a pillow yeah that's it's like right. falling into like a uh, a bunch of feather feather down pillows like it's just so soft so and that's something yeah. that i think people that haven't shot super <clears throat> curves just don't understand like i'm not like the speed is a byproduct that's cool but man the last like three inches of that draw cycle is just something else 
if if the yeah, it's, it's the, definitely the, a different the, different feel. Yeah, if the tapers are right on it, uh, and the you know the the laminate schedule, the limb is done properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are the smoothest drawn things that you can ever shoot. Now I've shot a lot yeah. of them that are super fast, but they don't have their tapers done properly in their limbs. Right, and it doesn't really. Uh, it, 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 the draw cycle is just not really fun to shoot and it doesn't. Right. And it's hard to be accurate with them for me. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, so it, it sounds like you're a, you're a nerd like one of us. So, the, oh, yeah. I, I, pre- I appreciate that. Uh, so <laughs> where did, where did this passion for hunting coming from, uh, or where did this passion for hunting come from? Uh, was it just kind of a byproduct of you living down there? Did you come from a hunting family or what that, what that look like? Yeah. My grandfather was a, a hunter. He was uh, not a good hunter, uh, but he loved <laughs> to hunt and, um, mm-hmm. and, but he didn't, you know, he didn't try to be a, a good hunter. He just enjoyed it. Uh, sure. And we were always outside. So, um, you know, his two sons didn't really get into it. They weren't really interested in it. And so when I came along, I came along, you know, only about 10 years behind his youngest son. So I was like the fifth kid. And when I showed interest, he just basically, you know, uh, kidnapped me. And right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, as far as soon as I could walk, I was behind him and, uh, we had an incredible relationship. It was just, it is just one of the most special relationships. I, I mean, I'm just so blessed to have lived that with him and yeah. we hunted and fished. That's awesome. Um, I mean, all the time it was, it wasn't just deer hunting. I mean, we, we hunted everything, you know, birds, you know, rabbits, quail, squirrels, um, dove, turkey, ducks. I mean, if it was a season, we were doing it. Um, yeah. And, uh, but my, my love was always deer hunting. And then when I uh, met the, the gentleman at the church that was, um, involved in our youth group, uh, and he got me into bow hunting. Uh, man, it was just that it changed my life. And right. I, I literally just ignored everything else for the longest time. Uh, yeah. When I used to, I used to fish just, in, I mean, obsessively. And my fishing went from fishing to bow fishing. And uh, mm. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I had a, I had a complete bow fishing rig, a boat built um, in 1992. So, you know, it's pretty popular now. We were doing it a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I had to do everything with my bow and, and that's just, it's been like that ever since. Um, it's cost me a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I've, I've purposely avoided bow. I've avoided bow fishing because I know what's going to happen if I do that. So you're like, I I need a new truck to haul this new, new boat and it's going to be bad. Yeah. I I don't do it anymore. I, uh, I don't know as I got older, I guess I really had a, a moral dilemma with it because, um, uh, you know, there were people that would always take the carp and the gar, but mm-hmm. it wasn't something that I was going to do. So I still do it from time to time, but it's, I, I wasn't going, you know, I used to go every night and, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know. It just something that just didn't continue, you know, didn't stick with me like the, the other stuff did. So right. it's a lot of fun. It's the worst thing in the world for a bow hunter, though, because uh, uh, it gets your point of aim off. <laughs> it's a very and, different oh, system. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. you'll shoot under every deer for like the first <laughs> two months after oh, no. you, know, you start <laughs> from bow fishing all summer. Yeah. Because yeah. you have to aim under it because the refraction of the water. And yes, you do. Yeah. So I was like, heck with this. I'm not missing any more deer. So I just got <laughs> backed up and punted. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. So, um, uh, the beginning of day six gear, and and I yep. want to emphasize gear because uh, I've heard you say that it's not it's not day six archery. You said you just you made day six so that you can fill uh, the voids in the industry when you see them, right? Yeah. You're, so you're the one guy that listened to me. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> we try and pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. I knew somebody was listening. I just didn't know who it was. Yeah. No. So, um, a buddy of mine is a, um, a Buffalo, uh, outfitter in Australia. And, uh, uh-huh. and he, uh, he owned, he also owned Zelor arrows over there. And oh, he's the guy yeah. that owned it. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. And so, uh, he would come over here and hunt with me and vice versa. And so, uh, man, I love those arrows and just, they were just exactly what I wanted. I mean, they were a mm-hmm. bulletproof, heavy FMJ that didn't break. So, right. Uh, yeah. I always shot FMJs and then, uh, but I also knew the, the downfall, um, of them to where they would weaken over time, uh, and the spine would start to change and your accuracy would open up. So, you know, you, you pretty much had to, you know, knock tune them and then put them in the box with the broadheads yeah. on them because you couldn't shoot them again. Uh, yeah. I'm not a fan of FMJs for a lot of reasons, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, I just, uh, when I found those, it was a home run, but their right. components and their outserts were not very good. No, um, that's pretty telling so, for most companies, most yeah, arrow companies. Yeah. What's an afterthought for most companies? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah it's exactly. what's cheapest. Yeah. Yeah. So I designed a different system for them. And it was having them, you know, uh, CNC turn milled locally. And so when he came over and was hunting with me, he was looking at, looking at my arrows, which were his arrows, but they didn't have his stuff on the end. And he's looking at them and he's looking at his. And then I handed him some loose and he says, you know, mate, yours is much better than mine, right? I said, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Everyone needs an Australian friend, I'm determined. Oh, this guy's awesome. So... He says, he says, we got to build these things. And he says, why don't you be my partner and you sell them in the States and I'll sell them in Australia and Europe, whatever. And let's do this thing together. And I'm like, yeah, man, mm-hmm. that, that'll be good because you've already done all the work. You've got the, the outsourced <laughs> components done. You've, you right. know, I said, well, if we do it, you know, we got to do something about the name because Zelor stinks. That's the worst name <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> He's like, you think? I said, yeah. I do. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, we're clipping along and I had, uh, outsert. When was this, by the way? Sorry to cut you off. 2017, I guess. And okay. So, oh, okay. So this is pretty recent then. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So we had, you know, all the components being made and I had the veins being done and not being designed and had all this going and we were about ready to hit the market. And he calls me up one day and he says, I'm going to sell this company to you. I'm uh, going into the kangaroo jerky business. I'm like, well, <laughs> great. Of so, course. What else yeah, would you so, go into? <laughs> yeah. So that's how I backed into being in the aero business is he tricked me into it. So I, I, I had so much time and energy, you know, invested in it. 
um, I reached out to some of my buddies and I said, Hey man, I'm, I think I'm going to dive into this. Y'all going to help. They're like, yeah, we'll help you get it out there. So that's what we did. And, um, and so while the components and everything were being done, I was working with the, uh, the manufacturer to change the, um, the composite layup a little bit and what we were using, uh, because I didn't, I wasn't quite happy with the arrows, the way they were. I liked the weight of them and I liked the diameters, but I wasn't really happy with the, the laminate schedule. Right. So get nerdy with us. What'd you, what'd you, uh, what'd you not like about it? We're this, I don't know how much you know about our audience, but our audience is like the biggest nerds ever. So they'll, they'll enjoy this kind of stuff. Well, unfortunately, if I talk about what I didn't like about it, it's what everybody else does in their arrows. Okay. That's fair. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't also don't give away trade secret trade secrets just for a podcast appearance. (laughs) Yeah, no. So, uh, but no, I just made a few, nothing major, just a few minor changes. And then, sure. um, and then, uh, I knew this was going to take a while to do. And I already had, uh, this, this broadhead design, um, that, that I, I had actually shot uh, a hybrid that I'd made like this for years. And so I was buying, uh, these broadheads out of Hungary, um, and they had a, they had the, the, you know, convex Maasai journeyman type shape that I like. I like a convex mm-hmm. radius yep. outer blade. Mm-hmm. Um, they had what I wanted. I like the shape and everything about them, but they were vented, uh, vented blades. Mm-hmm. I do not like vented blades, never have. And, mm-hmm. but I liked their ferrules and they had a little weight system on them where you could change. So I, I it was, I had tried to get ferrules made here locally and it was the toolings kind of specialty to do that. And mm-hmm. the ones I was getting made were pretty janky. So it wasn't working for me. So sure. I would buy these broadheads out of Hungary, bring them over, pull the blades out. And then I had my own blades being made and was putting those blades in. And I was basically hybridizing my own, you know, broadhead the way I wanted it. And hmm. so I already had kind of a, a start of where, where I wanted to be because I'd been shooting these heads since 2013 or 14, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it was 13 or 14. So, um, uh, because I'd first seen them when I was in Africa and there was a guy from Hungary there and he had them <laughs> and, uh, he got me hooked up with them. But, um, so, so all I had to really had to do was just kind of make a few changes and then, and then, um, you know, get the ferrules made, which turned out to be a bit of a challenge. But so I thought that the broadheads would beat the arrows to the marketplace. And once I got into it, sourcing the material that I wanted in combination with getting the volume blades that I would need versus what the people that make these kind of blades out of that material, the the quantities they require Right. It was a nightmare. And I was trying to keep it all domestic too. I didn't want to go overseas with anything. So Right. It took me two years to get the broadheads to market. And um, Oh geez. Yeah, it was a challenge. It was really a challenge. So the arrows actually beat them. And so that's how day six kind of came about. I got tricked into buying Zelor. <laughs> said if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna go full tilt Peterbilt on it, do heads and some other stuff we got coming. And so it's like I'm just going to do it. So I made a commitment to do it. And my wife was pushing me to do this so hard. And everybody's like, your wife was pushing you to do it. And I said, yes, <laughs> she wants me. That is always a bonus. For, 
Yeah. yeah. I've been in construction for 25 years and she just wants me out. You know, it's just, yeah. I've, I mean, I've almost been killed twice, you yep. know, oh, construction accidents. And um, yep. she's just like, man, I just, you just light up when you talk about this stuff. This is what you need to do. So yeah. Having that support, well, can, man, that's what makes it work. I mean, oh, it really, it really 100%. is. Really is. Yeah. I, uh, and yeah, I kind of, I share that same sentiment. I was, I was in, uh, plumbing trades for a while and I come home and you know these guys that aren't even 50 were just broken and uh my wife was like well, you need to get out and go back into IT and and not not be a guy that can't walk by the time he's 50 and I'm like yeah you're you're probably right so uh I I definitely understand the whole wife wanting you to get out of that kind of thing what do you what do you do in construction if you don't mind me asking Oh, I don't mind. No, no. I've, I've, uh, I'm a general contractor. I've owned my okay. business since 1996. Oh, nice. So I've been doing That's it a great. long time. Yeah. Uh, longer than I, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I hope, I hope business keeps, uh, continues to be good for you. So you can, you can let somebody else run that thing. Well, we're, we're, we're on the, we're on the downhill slope now. We're tapering everything down. And, and I mean, I'm, you know, day six has grown to the point to where it's, you know, it's a, I have two full-time businesses to run and, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I didn't get into this. So to not have time to hunt, uh, it was vice versa. So the, uh, yeah. that that's the made, challenge. Made a, yeah. I mean, if I didn't have two, two businesses to run, I mean, I, I'd have plenty of time, but, uh, unfortunately <laughs> I do. So, but we're working on that. We should be, uh, we should be out of the construction side by the end of this year, first of next. And, Oh, that's great. Uh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. I've learned to, learned to say no uh, when people want to hire us. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, we're wrapping her up. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> gotta, gotta make sense. Gotta be the right job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, yeah. this, this day six is going to be more of a quality of life than a quality of bank account yeah. venture. Yeah. That's a big oh, part absolutely. of it. Yeah. Yeah. We, you, you we've gotta... been working hard for 25 years at this business. So it's, it's time to do something fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you're going to pack up and move to Wyoming when you do that? Uh, no, I don't. Well, I mean, I think we will uh, spend the, the spring, summer, and fall, or summer and fall there, and then we'll we'll always be back in Alabama by Thanksgiving. I'm not going to. Kind of avoid that snow. <laughs> yeah. I w- Wyoming <laughs> winters can be a little bit harsh. Yeah, Rob, you yeah, used to live so. in Wyoming, didn't you? I did, yeah, for a couple of years. Yeah. I was uh, just outside of Laramie. Yeah. Well, that's where we're going. Just right outside of Laramie. It's, um, but I, you know, I, I'm not going to spend the winter out there. And then, you know, I'm, I, 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 I want to be in Alabama during hunting season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it. You know, I mean, I, I, um, out of all the fun stuff I do and the hunts I go on, you know, I wouldn't trade any of it for hunting the whitetails here. I mean, it's, this so is your, the hardest thing I do. Your hunting seasons don't really overlap. Like you can do your Western hunting and then you can go hunt whitetail yeah yeah the whole season because well, much the peak, at least the season the, when the, it matters the rut right. happens in like january doesn't it it's it's january, late compared february. to everyone else mm-hmm. yeah yeah january february yeah we just our season just closed like uh 10 days ago or 14 oh wow ago. yeah that's awesome <laughs> yeah so we can kill three bucks a year and then we can kill um unlimited does so you know uh, as That's far hunter as heaven. a sample size for, <laughs> yeah, for yeah. what works and what doesn't, you, know, you have a pretty good opportunity every year. And then you throw the noble hog on top of that and you've pretty much yep. got the, 
you've got the uh, season. You know, you got a year-round season to yeah, hunt no all kidding. you want. So. That's right. Well, speaking of stuff that works, let's talk about these HD arrows a little bit. So, mm-hmm. first off, does HD stand for anything in particular? I've I've never looked into it. Uh, no, I just. Uh, I did HD for like uh, heavy duty, um, heavy duty, yeah. high definition, no. all, all the HD things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so whatever you know, all, that's what it stands for, pretty much on everything. So yeah, uh, it wasn't high definition. It was heavy. Duty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my, my assumption was heavy duty, but uh. yeah, yeah. But HD sounds cooler. You know, yeah, when you, when yeah. Heavy duty, it kind of sounds like a trash bag. So I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have oh, hefty man. coming after you either. Not when you get started. No, I can't have Zelor trash bags. I would not market really well. <laughs> so, so your shafts are uh, a, a bit unique uh, in comparison to um, other shafts that are on the market because of two things that are put together that typically are not. Uh, your shaft is a micro shaft. But it's also uh, a thicker, uh, oh, a thicker wall than most micro shafts are, and in turn, a heavier GPI. What's uh, what was your what was your thoughts there? Well, you know, the the, the archery industry, uh, they were light, 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 and the reason they were light, light, light is that's cheap, cheap, cheap. Um, mm-hmm. so it's less carbon. Go figure. It's less carbon. <laughs> you orient you orient everything along the axis, and it's you know you. Uh, you know, the longitudinal axis and you can use less material, build cheaper arrows and main, you know, achieve the spines you want. But they break more often. People buy more, you know, it's just, you know, it's great. It's great for them. (laughs) Yeah. What's a consumable to them? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, for me, arrows should not be consumables. They should be, um, you know, something that's durable and lasts and reusable. And so, exactly, you know, like this year alone, I shot uh, 13 uh, big game animals with one arrow before the 13th animal broke it. So, you know, mm. I, I shot an I shot an elk, a mule deer, two Oklahoma white tails, bucks, um, uh, two Alabama white tail bucks, and then whatever the balance is in in does. So, you know, that hmm. was one arrow, and then the other arrows in my quiver, you know. Gosh, I mean, they all shot, you know, two or three more animals. So it, this, this is not a consumable, disposable product for me. I, I rinse, sharpen, reload, repeat. That's yep. You know, yep. Let, it, let it let it eat, you know. Yeah, and that that's something you know. Obviously, we're proponents of of quality gear that's going to last you, and we make the same argument for arrows and broadheads. Like you know, people buy you know, a dozen new arrows every year, six new broadheads every year. And it's like, man, if you, if you just do the buy once, cry once method, which really isn't that much more, like you can put, you can put this thing through 10 seasons. Like if you're, you know, in, well, uh, 10 times longer, I should say in comparison, like it's just, it's well, crazy I mean, how people don't think of the, the value uh, when it's spread over the course of how long you're going to use it. Yeah. And that's and most people aren't shooting, 10 plus animals in a year right they're yeah they're but, but practicing. they're still shooting but they're still buying six broadheads no every I, single I, year. I, I know i know but I, that was my point though is they're not you know practice you shouldn't be breaking anything right right you know well that's when everybody an breaks. animal 
they hit the fence behind the target. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that is true. Need a little yes. more practice, yeah. but yes, yeah, that that means more practice is needed. But it's you know you look at the durability and like what Matt you were saying with you know buy once, cry once, and having stuff last a while. Like if you buy decent broadheads, there is no way that you should go through that many in a handful of years unless you're someone that is killing a whole bunch of stuff and you suck at sharpening. Yeah. Like there, there's yeah, really at this point there is sharpening unfortunately. <laughs> I mean it's like 90% of the population doesn't know how to sharpen. I, I, it's I a dying art. I hate, I hate sharpening too, but I had to learn how to do it a long time ago. I mean when you're right. when you're trapping and stuff like that, I mean you've you got to sharpen. So Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, well, it's, you know, it's, the, the, it's a lost art at this point. Oh, it is. It is. And you know, the thing is, is that I guess, you know, I guess what I, uh, try to tell guys, and this is what I hate about, uh, the air quotes industry proper, um, is that once a, a little coconut telegraph message gets out there, it just goes like crazy, but you know, we've been labeled as expensive. And I'm just shaking my head thinking, man, I went into this thinking that we were going to be deemed as a great deal, affordable, because yeah. the customer that buys our arrow is a guy that was buying a, an expensive arrow. And then they were having to go to another company and buy quality components like ethics or something like that. Right. So you're having to go buy an expensive arrow, throw away the craft they sell, send you with it. And then go buy good components to make to keep the arrows from blowing up on the end. Yep. So I'm I was going okay. Well, if you add those two together, it's pretty expensive. But if I can supply the arrow and the best component system on the market together for ten percent, fifteen percent less than what they'd have to spend to go put it together, I'm a better deal. Yep. But oh, we yeah. still yeah, got yeah, labels absolutely. expensive somehow. So yeah, well, and. Well, I think guys it's. Are, I, I, I think, think guys I think, are so ahead. used. Guys are so used to you know they're used to breaking so much stuff. So there's. I think that's part of the problem is that like they're they don't expect yours to last any longer than what they've used before. Right. So they're yeah. looking at it that way. But I, I've stopped even looking at how much money I spend on archery stuff at this point because I don't want to depress myself. That's a good idea. <laughs> but I would probably, so like you know what I look I, at I your prices. I'm like, no, that's. I I look at your prices. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good deal. I like. Yeah, you just gotta. But you have guys like especially and be proud of how much you spend. Just oh, that's true. Like, yeah. Hell with it. Let's yeah. run a rip. <laughs> well, it I, I spend the money anyway. The, so he who dies with the most toys wins. I think. Is? What's that? Um, Do y'all know who Flip Pallet is? I Mm-mm. don't think so. No. no, he was the host of the Walker's K Chronicles on ESPN. That fly fishing okay. show for forever the guy okay. oh okay well he's a big traditional hunter and all but the the thing he told me back in the day was as he said uh you know a man's a man's net worth is not by how much money he has it's how many spark plugs he requires to keep all his stuff running <laughs> you know, boats, buggies, four wheelers boats toys trucks yeah that's how he yep. that's how he measured how many spark plugs you needed is how what your net worth how was valued. <laughs> I always I always love that, you know. That's, That's great. 
Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. But no, I mean we we're we're. It's funny. The the most of the people I talk to are building a hybridized arrow by out of a one shaft and then another company's components and they're putting them together. Yep. Yeah. And you know they're having to go buy. We, we are those you know, guys nice too. Fletchings and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And then yeah. ours comes with the best of everything, and it's yeah. cheaper. So, uh, but it's well, okay. yeah, that's I mean, what. Yeah, I mean, you guys really are a good deal. I mean, a, a, a dozen fletched is one ninety. Hell, yep. I I've every if you post if you go over on on uh, um oh, who's the people you used to used to or maybe you do still pro staff for elk, elk people Garrett who are they oh uh, um that huge elk group addicts. the jet elk addicts there we go yeah. if you go over on elk addicts yeah I've had this worst story ever uh if you go over on <laughs> elk addicts and you say what errors are you using everyone's full metal jackets full metal jackets full metal jackets right. fmjs are are 80 to 90 bucks for a half dozen so you're a 160 to 180 right there and you don't have anything else you you have a bare shaft and you're going to have to get you have to get new components you're going to have yeah. to get different fletchings if, if you want, if you want something that's worth its salt. And at that point you're, you're 250, 300 in on some quality stuff. And, and it's like, yeah, like 190 sounds pretty good at that point. And, and you're going to have to buy them twice a year because they're going to be smoked after practice for yeah, the first well, half of the yep. year and bent. So, yeah, well, that's, that's the FMJ way Bend it <laughs> and, and then be confused why you can't group anything. Well, you know, the problem uh, was, is, but, but there was only a few arrows, uh, back then when I started shooting those that you could get the weights, the GPI that right. you wanted. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, so I went to, I mean, I guess we can zip into this, um, shit ball, but, um, <laughs> I, I, the reason I went to FMJs is I was coming out of the high FOC, um, uh, uh, hypnosis I'd been under for five or six years. Sure. And so, um, cause I was shooting lighter arrows with super high FOC and, and started kind of making some deep dives into why my, you know, success was sporadic. It wasn't consistent. And, um, once I got into that, I said, Oh, I'm going to back off that a little bit. I still want a heavy arrow, but I want to back that FOC down a little bit and, um, started doing my own testing. And, and that was the certainly the key to success for me, but that was the only arrow available to keep that high weight up, but not have it all hanging off. Right. The front, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I gotcha. So that's why I went to them and there was, I mean, there wasn't anything else out there. I mean, there were some, some, uh, like traditional type carbon arrows, uh, that had some pretty high GPI, yep. but they were junk. I mean, yeah. Just were, yeah. Well, because the, the specs on them are all, yeah, yep, yep. Because the the traditional arrows have always been branded as like, oh, like you're not good enough to tell the difference anyway. So it's a it's an 006 and you know, yeah. and the spines all over the place because you know it's you're just shooting out of a recurve or a longbow. Why does it matter? And uh, well, yeah, what people I've, don't I've, realize is is that so the like the 003, 005, 006 arrows, they're um they're culls. So they're trying to yeah. make them all 001. All right. right. Yep. So what no one tells you <laughs> is that it's like I've heard guys say, man, I bought these, you know, 003 arrows and dude, they're, I mean, I've tested them. They're perfect. And yep. I'd never have the heart to tell people that 
it's not just the straightness that's getting cold. <laughs> yeah. When these it's, factories it's are testing the arrows, yeah, it's the spine, the weight consistency. They're, they're, mm-hmm. you know, they put them through this little machine and they can see the wall and see if there's air bubbles in them or mm-hmm. you know, hollow, hollow spots in the laminate. Um, but the main thing is the spine consistency. And yep. that is that's, what that's I was the big, that's about. the big, big, big part for sure. That's what makes your arrows be friends and touch in the target. If the spine yep. is the same and it's, and it's accurate, that's what makes the groups happy. You yeah. Know, you, yep. If you're shooting a 300 spine arrow and out of your dozen, they go from 250 to 350. There's nothing you can <laughs> no, do to control. What no point. Bueno. Yeah. 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 So, what do you what do you find is like an acceptable uh, spine consistency range? Oh uh, well, we do, we go uh, uh, plus or minus five. Oh yeah. wow, which yeah. is honestly so, very tight for that's tight the industry. Yeah. At oh, least from what I've seen. Chart. Yeah, yeah. So what I do is is you know I I I batch <laughs> them myself. So I spin test every arrow, every shaft we get, and then before we do anything with it. And then we weigh them and we weight batch them and then we spine test them. And if anything is outside of that, I'll pull it off to the side and I'll pull that off to the side. Let's say a, a 300s tested at say 315 or something, you know, I'll pull that one off and put it over in a 315 batch. And if, you know, I'll get end up with 30 or 40 that are spining at 315. Well, that's no problem for me because you know, I'll cut my arrow to 27 inches. And so you're reducing the, uh, the overall effect of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so as long as they're the same, it doesn't really matter. And, um, so I'll, you know, I'll take those and I'll shoot them myself or, you know, if there's guys that I give arrows to, they're, you know, popular people or whatever, I'll batch them up and I'll build them an arrow and send it to them. Cause at the end of the day, it won't matter really because it's still consistent. Yeah. yeah, as long as it's the same, it doesn't matter, you know. So, yeah. Um, so we make sure what our customers are getting are exactly what's printed on there, you know. So, yeah. Yep. Very labor intensive. Yeah. Oh man, say, it sounds like do it. You have any yeah. helpers, or is it just oh, are you no, still I a one man show? No, I wish. I mean, I, I wish. <laughs> I, I wish I didn't have the other stuff to do, or I would still do it all myself. I still spin test everything, and I do yeah. all the um, spine testing myself. That's the one thing I still do. And then mm-hmm. my wife and I, we send out, like, we do all the packaging for, like, our apparel and, you know, the clothes and hats and stuff. Man, but I love your guys' home. apparel, by the way. Your stuff's what? really slick. I, I love your guys' apparel. It's very slick looking. Good job. Oh, I appreciate it. So, um, no, I've got I've got a really cool guy that helps me, and uh, he's actually a design engineer, and I was hiring him, you know, to do all our CAD drawings and all, and he finally just said, man, I... I don't like my day job. I like this. Man, if, I, <laughs> you know, if, I, if I helped you build arrows and did the design, I mean, so I'm like, you don't say anything else. You're hired. Let's go. So You're like, how convenient. Off. Cause I need an employee. <laughs> well, this guy's, I mean, this guy's a stud. I mean, he, he's a true killer. He's super smart. He's a great, you know, target archer. I mean, he's just, he lives it. And, uh, you know, and then just to you know, have a, him having the, you know, the design engineering, uh, it's just kind of icing on the cake. So I like to change my mind a lot. So having yeah. my own design engineer is pretty beneficial. 
Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> You're like, they, hey, they fire me if they work for me because I've had a lot of right. design. Fire me. Here's your file. Go hire somebody else. <laughs> like, okay. Take your damn prints. Get out of here. Yeah. So <laughs> remember, anyway, remember that it's, whole it's, thing it's really I told great. you to make. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, remember you know, the whole thing I told you to make pro- yesterday? We're going to start over. So, <laughs> Oh, you, you think that's a joke. That is literally a oh, no. conversation. So, <laughs> uh, but, we, uh, but he's such a perfectionist as well. And, uh, and he's even designed and built machines for us to test with. Like he has a, yes. like a, almost like a, what you call it, like a lathe, like a, a, mm-hmm. like a grip lathe thing that's a slow-moving electric motor that's got these um, gauges on it. So, I mean, like our, what we're testing our arrows with or like what they're using at like the factories. It is, it's yeah. pretty impressive. So nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm very blessed to have him. I'm super, uh, just super lucky to, to have run across and, you know, he came yeah. to me as a customer originally. So, um, yeah. it just worked out well. So these HD shafts are, uh, they're micro diameter which obviously is going to aid in penetration because it's a lot less drag on the shaft. And yep. they're Well, it's they're a lot very... less drag behind a, a, a larger diameter outsert. That's the key. Yes. Yep, that is it's the critical the, part. It's there. not the diameter of the shaft. It's the diameter of the shaft in relationship to the larger diameter outsert. Right. So yep. from your point of your broadhead to where it meets the outsert, and that's at 308, once you meet that one tiny little point, everything goes smaller behind it. And, yep. um, and that's what provides for that maximum penetration. And, and, and I'll tell you, man, there's a lot of numbers thrown around out there, but it's substantial. The difference oh, in yeah. penetration. Oh yeah. It's huge. Set up. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it is. I'm, I'm not a good salesperson. Um, Cause I, every time I say this is how much more it adds, they're like, bullshit. There ain't no way. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's substantial. substantial. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's definitely the best system that 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 I've ever seen, and and I'll be honest with you, the way I came to it was not through a micro, because I never wanted to fool with them. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was building collars for FMJs, and because uh, yeah, I mean, my God, how many broadheads can you drive through the end of your arrow? You know, yeah, before you figure out shoot. a different solution. Yeah, so I you know it's pretty simple. I mean, there's you know there's collars for all kinds of things and machinery and all. And so while we were building these little aluminum collars that slid over them and my gosh, you talk about, you could shoot the same arrow next to each other, one without a collar, one with, and the one with the collar would be, you know, 30, 40% deeper in a foam target. Yep. You're like, Ooh, there's something to that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. it, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a culmination of a lot of little things like that, that are, that can, that are the real big differences there. Yeah. Um, and that's what I always so, say, Matt, is that, you know, I'm not selling a magic bean. What I've done is, is I've taken every aspect of an arrow and I've improved it a percentage. And yep, you take yep. all those 10% improvements. Some of the parts. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you add it up, you've got a, you know, a superior product. And that's, that's yep. what I was trying to do. It's, it's not a magic bean, but what I'm trying to do is get a product that number one, is very durable and bulletproof, which is super important. Yeah. And, but the number one thing, the most important thing for a bow hunter is arrow flight. It's, mm-hmm. it's to me, it's over durability. It's over weight. It's over broadhead design. It's over everything. 
aeroflight is paramount to penetration. And if you have a super consistent arrow that doesn't have a stiff and a weak side in it, um, and is, you know, uh, spine matched in the actual, the customer has the actual proper size spine for his setup. Mm-hmm. That's when, that's yep. when the arrow flight gets perfect. And that's yep. what zips through animals. It's arrow flight, arrow flight. Yeah. Got, got to be, got to be properly oh, yeah. spined on and that's, that for sure. I mean, yeah. at least in my mind, durability is number one purely because a perfectly flying arrow that self-destructs at impact does no good. Like the front but, of an FMJ, maybe? Well, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, 100% arrow flight is critical. So you have to I have mean, both of those. Yeah, yeah you do. I mean, those, they're pro- they're in probably, my mind... They're probably, uh, I'd say they're equal, if, if, if anything, because... yeah. No matter how bulletproof your arrow is, if the knock's not behind the head, it's not going through anything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. you can shoot. I mean, you can shoot nine pounds and a thousand grain arrow, but if it's flying sideways, you might as well be shooting a you know a yep three hundred grain arrow BB gun it, exactly. And that's honestly your flight quality can impact your durability because if you're hitting off square now you're creating additional leverages and you know we all know what that does yeah so i mean it it all goes hand in hand yeah well especially with with micros and that's something that you've kind of alleviated uh with having these these higher gpi really super thick wall micros beefy shafts yeah, oh, they're 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 triple C thick, as Garrett likes to say. They're, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I, and I I enjoy I enjoy these a lot. Uh, um, just it's it's always like when I I pull the knock end off and and look at it, I'm just like, my God, that's that's yeah. a lot of carbon and not a not a lot of room, <laughs> which which gives well, me confidence. I mean, that's right. these are, I mean, the the one thing that I've I've always said for for durability wise when talking about micros not including these um is the the surface area playing into the durability um for for uh lateral forces yep and that's when you look at these most of these shafts are nearly you know the same diameter as most of your small diameter stuff on the market Right. Yeah, they're a little. They're they're still a little bit smaller. A little bit but, smaller, but they, but like, but they are. Like, but they are thicker the than your typical micro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the two fifty is a two six three. Yeah. What That's, you're saying? What you're saying is, is that our outside diameter is the same as like a five millimeter shaft. Like yes. And, and that's so. That's where like in a lot of the market, the four millimeter stuff has some durability issues. Cut, you know, that's just inherent to that shaft size. These, well, I'll tell you why that you, you get a lot of durability issues with them as well is that by nature you have to use an outsert for them. Okay. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. I mean that and causes so problems creates, on its own. That's right. It create if it's not designed properly, it creates a leverage issue on the end. Um, yes. Which which causes most of your micros to break right wherever the 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 whatever that the component ends ends. Yeah, it's yep. it's a hinge and it's it's like a perforated yeah. sheet. That's where it's going to tear. Exactly. So, and that was the design flaw with the first Zelor ones. Um, they didn't understand, you know, the 
they didn't understand the um, uh, the physics or the engineering behind beside cantilever, you know, behind cantilever. Mm-hmm. The, the need for additional support there. That's yeah. right. So whatever you have sticking out the front, you have to have one and a half times coming in the back. Um, and then for it to all work together, you have to have an inside and an outside overlap to where when you get to the end of the arrow, uh, where you go from just the stiffness or the durability or whatever you want to call that quality, um, that value of the shaft, you can't go from the strength value of the shaft immediately to triple, you know, material, you know, aluminum, steel, whatever carbon, you can't make that drastic change. You have to spread that change out Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to stair step up that transition in durability. But by the time you get to the end, it's got to be monolithic. The outside, the inside and the shaft have to marry together to make one. Yep. And that's the difference with ours. That's the, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry guys. That's the difference in, you know, what keeps these things together. And it also is what the difference is to where when you do miss the target, hit a fence post, they still spin. Um, right. Yep. They don't bend at the end. And so, you know, there's a lot of things out there that capture the point or the head, whatever you want to call it they capture them separately. Like one piece will capture the thread, one piece will, then the one piece will capture the shank, the right. shoulder of the shank. And that is another hinge that you don't need in that place. Yep. That hinge has got to be farther back. Yeah, so, well, and that's what a lot of people don't get is that even when you have, you know, like two machine surfaces that are, you know, assumed to be perfectly flush, there is a gap there. Yep. And any gap will create some amount of leverage when yep. force is applied. That's right. That so there we, we there is that. no getting around that. That's right. And so we 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 knew that we realized that. So instead of trying to make it a perfect shoebox fit to where it's uh from the insert to the outsert uh marriage there where those two pieces engage, instead of making it try to trying to you know tool these things to machine these things to where they're less than a thousandth tolerance between them we went the other way we played and played and played with it and I said no let's do this let's go let's make that gap a thousandth all the way around let's create an even noticeable gap a consistent gap yeah mm-hmm. a consistent gap and then let's fill that with another medium that's going to cure and create the bond and bond everything together monolithically. Yep. So good epoxy. Yep. yep. Good epoxy. So like let's say that you try to mill it too close. What you're going to have is is you're going to have contact on one side and a gap on the other. And no contact on the yeah, other. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. right. And the same thing with the arrow shafts. Um, if you're sanding the end of your arrow shaft to get your outsert to go on, it, that's not what you want. Now, that's yeah, how we I don't started like it. because that's what we thought. But the thing is, is if you look, if you looked at an end of an arrow shaft, like under a microscope, it's not perfectly round. Yeah. You would hope it is, but it's just like wrapping toilet paper on a toilet paper roll. It's, right. You know, it's going to be thicker, thinner. That's a really like good that. analogy. That's like a really, yeah. really, I don't, I don't think people understand how carbon is wrapped, but that's, 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 that's right. really good. And we'll, and we'll dive into what, something else here. What, too what's funny is that's that. the equipment that I, I work on. <laughs> you make yep. toilet paper rolls? That's uh, the company I work for. We design and manufacture uh, 
tissue converting equipment. So that's oh, okay. we make the machines that everyone else uses to make uh, toilet paper and uh, oh, tissue you. paper. So what happens is is that if you if you try to have contact with your outsert that you've gone painstakingly out of your way to index on the center of the shaft, which is the perfect part mm-hmm. of an arrow shaft. Mm-hmm. If you do that and you slide it on, there's contact. It's going to take that outsert and it's going to lean it one way or another. Yeah. So what we did is, is we said, okay, back up. We're going to consciously create a thousandths gap all the way around it. So there's no contact. And but it keeps it centered. Yep. But it's still centered on the inside. And so now you've got the inside, the outside epoxy together, and you've got the gap completely filled with the epoxy void between the arrow and the, and the shaft. And like, was well, the epoxy strong enough? I'm not sure if that would be strong. And I'm like, guys, your arrow shaft is 50% epoxy. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what the arrows are made out of. So, you know, a little yeah. bit more is not the end of the world here. So, um, so anyway, long story short, that's what we did. And, it made a, a complete monolithic end with no voids and there's no breaks uh, to where the arrow, the arrow point is captured. It's captured in a one piece, you know, receiver. Um, and then the collar is strictly just for reinforcement at that point. So, right. Um, yep. It, it was, it was a tough machine to, I'm mean, a tough part to machine. Um, and we talked to a few guys um, to build them for us. Cause there's a lot of people I really wanted to use they just didn't have the capabilities of doing it. Their machines weren't, you know, so we had to kind of find somebody that could do that. But right. to, the other point that, that you brought up there, Rob, was um, so when people talk about knock tuning, um, knock tuning their shafts, they're doing that because when the arrow is made, it's made like you're wrapping a toilet paper roll around yep. a steel mandrel. And so mm-hmm. where everybody knows wherever the last piece of toilet paper is, there's 20 layers right You've there, got overlap. 19 on the yep. other side, 180 yep. degrees away. So you have a stiff and a weak. So that's what knock tuning comes from. So the way mm-hmm. we're building ours, it, we it's, actually, yeah, it's spine inconsistency. That's the yeah, tighter well, you have a stiff and a weak side. Yeah. So the, the yeah. stiff side may be 300, but the weak side may be 320. So yep. the way we're doing our laminates, we're actually eliminating the seam. The seams are staggered. So there's no need to knock tune them. Mm. Yeah, gotcha. let them rip. So, yep. uh, but that's a good analogy for people to understand why they're knock tuning their, their arrows is because they're just basically trying to line up the end of the toilet paper seam all in the same yep. orientation, you know? Huh. Well, and that's one where I've always told people, you know, that, I mean, knock tuning in and of itself is a good thing, right? Oh, yeah. Quality flight is key. But you can tell a lot about the the actual quality of the shaft by how your knock tuning goes. That if if you see yeah, you know, if you don't have to then wide you're, you're var- <laughs> variation as you twist that knock, that's telling you how inconsistent that shaft is. Yeah, that's right. The the, that's the less the deviation the you see, that's the better. Right. Well, that's why the FMJs and the ACCs were so popular. Is because oh, yeah. The, because Aluminum's, they, yeah. The aluminum was more consistent than the carbon. Yep. And yeah. those two together, you had a very thin, light carbon layer and a thin, light aluminum layer. They married together to make a strong product. 
but they weren't inconsistent uh, because the thinner you make it, like it's like for me, it's way easier to make a super consistent 500 spine error than it is a 250 because there's so much less material. So when yep, you take right. those those hybrid arrows and you have these little thin, you know, amounts of material, they're very easy to make consistent. And then you marry them together for their strength. And those were great because you didn't really have to not tune them very much. And yep, so yep. Uh, that was the, the advantage for me that I saw with those, even though I knew they were inconsistent, the more you shot them as they were new, they were consistent across the board. They were very mm-hmm. spine consistent and they had the weight that I wanted. Um, but I knew there was a better mousetrap. I just, you know, didn't have the guts to do it myself. So yeah, I'm yeah, glad somebody yep. else did. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, these, uh, before we move on to the broadheads, which is an, mm-hmm. an interesting story, like what you were mentioning earlier, these shafts, uh, so that, that was the, so essentially what we just talked about is the, is your centric, uh, do you call it an insert system? Is it, do you call it an outsert system? I'm not, I can't remember which one. I it think I call it an insert outsert system. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I don't, uh, I'll, I'll have to look whatever people yeah, want to call it. It's, call it's, where, you, it's where you technology. screw in the pointy end. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, so that that was the centric, and that makes a lot of sense. And I really like that the fact that you've got the threads on the end of it too, because uh, mm-hmm. then like it doesn't allow it. Like if it wasn't straight, if it wasn't installed correctly, then it would get bound up, especially with those really fine threads that you've got on there. Uh, I, I would, uh, I've you know, coming from. Uh, a bit of uh, of some skill trade backgrounds, things when I saw really fine threads, I always got really nervous because I knew if it wasn't perfect, it was going to bind up and it was going to strip stuff. So, uh, well, the other if thing you... is that, that those, those, what the threads are for is to have a mechanical bond as well as a chemical bond. Right. Yeah. So if you have a mechanical That's bond... That's just reinforcing the epoxy. Yeah. Well, yeah, what's happening is, is that you're joining those two pieces together in two different ways you're joining together with a mechanical bond and a chemical bond. So now Mm -hmm. before the epoxy can get stressed, it's really can't get stressed because you've got mechanical threads that are holding it in place. So you never actually are testing the shear value of the epoxy. Um, I mean, I've put a little thought into this, you know, to get, to get where we're at. That's, that's definitely clear. Yeah. Well, everything we've done though has been a, a hurdle because the things I want it's not industry standard and it's hard right. to made, you know, yeah. uh, like, I mean, I'd love to have, I, honestly, I'd love to have the guys at ethics making those components for us because I like them. They're good guys. They're in the industry. Their philosophies align with ours, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, former military guys, you know, I mean, I just, I like them a lot. I, I really, but they just don't have the, like the tooling machinery capability to do it. And really right. nobody in the hunting industry does. We have to go mm, outside yeah. into these higher end, you know, like medical and stuff yeah. like that. Food Swiss machine tooling kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's not just Swiss. It's certain Swisses that have these you know, <laughs> certain capabilities. And yeah. I'm not getting this crash course in, you know, <laughs> the fact that I don't have enough money to be into this business, <laughs> you yeah. know, because I, I, I was like, well, hell, we'll just, we'll just buy our own machine. So like, that, you're like, like oh, no, wait a minute. No, yeah. I don't yeah. know. A, a yeah. good, I a mean, good, fan, well, 
Unless we could uh, live uh, in it. I mean, that'd be about the only way I could afford it. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. uh, you, you ain't joking. A good family friend of ours, uh, uh, their their family, uh, he, he runs a machine and tool shop uh, where he sells like high-end CNC machines too. Uh, yeah. uh, people who need CNCs that cost more than most people's houses. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's astronomical how, how much it is to get a really good tooling machine like that. Um, yeah, and our tolerances these, are so tight. You know, you, I mean, you look at those threads. I mean, if it's not perfect, it ain't gonna work. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, those, those are not a standard thread. I mean, we actually designed that thread pattern. That thread is it, pattern is it, is it a not, is it a else. not standard? Oh, that's no. interesting. No, that there's not another thread pattern like that that exists. I was say, I mean, it looks close to like an 1132nd, but it's not, it's not quite. Name? I said it looked close to an 1132nd. That's what I was thinking mm-hmm. it was off the top of my head, but I guess not. No. Mm-mm. No, it's not a yeah, standard it, thread. It's something that we had to design because if it's too aggressive, it's gonna it's it, your your uh, outsert will go on there at an angle as it's as it's rotating. Right. right. Yeah. Yep. So it had to be a very very shallow thread and super fine. And uh, but that's what I wanted. And when I get my head stuck on something, I'm not backing off. If I know it's one percent <laughs> better, that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> yeah. Well, something hey, I know that I, I, like I, I think that, that you guys do better than anyone else is, uh, especially in the micro industry, is making an extremely durable shaft. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that your your higher GPI stuff was kind of a byproduct of of you saying, you know, listen, like we're going to make this and it this shit isn't going to break. Uh, well, it was actually uh, so, the other way around. I, I don't ever want to mislead anybody. I, I, I We were setting it up to make the heavy arrow and the durability was a byproduct. Because to okay. get our GPI yeah. in combination with the way I wanted the shafts laminated to eliminate the seams, right? it, it made us use a lot more material. Hmm. And then once okay. we got to that, we're like, dang, we can't break these. This is great. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, that yeah. was kind of like you know, a lucky, you know. Happy coincidence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good. So we were driving for two things and got three. So um, Perfect. Yeah, so. That's the, yeah, I'm always going to be honest about how it came about. It's not all skill. Some of it's luck, but, um, yeah, but no, That's I mean, life. the arrows are great. And, and I mean, once somebody shoots them, like there's no looking back, we don't have people going, Oh, I'm going back to this or that, you know, you know, unless, right. they're, getting a, unless they're getting a check or something. So, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, we won't talk about that. That's a whole um, other story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but, and all your, all your shafts are OO ones, right? Okay, that's right. and if they, and if they don't one other tolerance. I shoot them. I shoot them myself. Right. I, right. I shoot all the rejects. That's what I hunt with. Yeah. Well, and even yeah. those are probably going to be fine. Oh, um, matters. And, and you, you guys don't. You guys don't even offer a. Uh, 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 oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A deep six insert, right? No. No. Okay. That's, good man. That's good. I, that ha- I hate. I hate it from day one. Yeah. Whoops. I just knocked over some broadheads off my uh, counter. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. They, stuff. Yeah. Sorry. Well, they're your broadheads. So, um, <laughs> yeah, like uh, I said, quit breaking stuff. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I am not a fan of day six. So, uh, or not, not, not day six, uh, a deep six. <laughs> I am a fan of day six. Uh, um, uh, yeah. So good on, yeah. good on you for not offering that. Cause I've, I've seen so many of those threads just snap the broadheads just snapped yeah. the threads. It's like, Oh, this was well, useless. Won't offer deep six and won't, won't sell out and offer mechanicals. Good. Don't, oh, don't care how much they want. I'm, I'm into that. I'm into yeah. that. I, I approve. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I want to uh, be co-sign. able to look back at day six and be proud of how I got where I got. 
Yeah. Don't get yeah, me started on selling out and having mechanicals. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we're uh, sorry, so Garrett. What, 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 let's <laughs> <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about broadheads. Um, yeah. So uh, you, you, how long? How long have you had your broadheads out? Apparently, it was we what you wanted to do first, June. but okay, all right. Yep. Uh, so uh, about eight months now, give or take. Um, and you've got uh, three different models that are all similar. Really, it's just the size differences. Uh, the yeah. Evo, uh, Evo, Evo X, and Evo XL. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So where uh, uh, I know you kind you kind of gave the origin story on it, but where where did the you said you kind of like the the concave uh, uh, style uh, design, or I'm sorry, well, convex. Convex. Con- convex convex design. Uh, um, uh, so where, where did the rest of the, uh, design come from? Were there other things that you really liked that you wanted? I did. There were a lot of heads out there that I've, I mean, you know, we've had conversations about how many bows I've had and have and obsessions and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's, there's a lot of heads that I can, I've looked at over the last 30 years. I can just look at them and go, nah, but there's some of them I look at and go, maybe, (laughs) <laughs> so and i'll buy sure, some yeah. you know, and shoot them and run them through a bunch of animals and test them and just do all my stuff and so i've, I've shot just about everything that's sem, you know semi-decent out there and you know there were some heads that always kind of stuck out to me as my favorites over the years and um you know uh, uh there would be the um i guess it was the the i guess was it a oh gosh like an eclipse um, uh, you ever heard the of werewolf? Those? No, no, no. Oh, okay. No, it was, <laughs> That's it was, different. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, it was. Um, it was. It was. Oh, golly, I can't remember who made it, but it was like a cast um, broadhead with that to the convex shape. Uh, what's that? I said to the internet. I'm looking it up. Oh yeah. Okay. So oh, an eclipse two blade. Oh, a glue on. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can yeah, see the similarity. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I so I, I like that convex shape, and then you know, yeah. I shot a, I shot an Eskimo, a Zwicky Eskimo with a bleeder. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, for years. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of animals I shot with a Zwicky Eskimo. I mean, it was like you could not separate me. I didn't want to hear anything else about any other broadhead. That was the end all be all. You know, I, I saw, I heard angels sing when I, when I, you know, because they were so easy to sharpen and yep. they never bent because of that convex shape. I just liked everything about them. And, uh, but where I live, you know, our climate and the conditions where we hunt, those things just stayed rusty. And it was just part of my life is having rusty broadheads. Mm-hmm. And so, and then you start shooting them through you know, hogs and deer and such all the time. And they're just constantly rusty. And so, yeah, so the Eskimo was, um, that was my favorite forever, but they rusted. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, where, where we are, it's just very humid and anyway, salt air. And so it's, you know, they were always rusted, but it was just part of what I was used to. I shot, you know, Simmons heads and, you know, all these things, they always rusted. So Mark Horn that we spoke about earlier that uh, had Horn's archery, he was a custom boyer. He had uh, um, Zephyr broadheads and they were the first like surgical stainless broadhead. Um, hmm. The mm-hmm. two blade, two blade design. 
that I that I had gotten my hands on, and I shot those for the for the longest time. I, I really really liked them, and they were just great. They didn't rust, um, but they were kind of a booger to sharpen, and they didn't stay crazy sharp. You know, it was just always a give and take. Were they a little soft? I'm guessing. Yeah, they were, and so. And then when I, I stumbled across these heads when we were in Africa that were made in Hungary and I liked them, but they were vented, which I can't stand vented blades. And so I just, at that point started making my own blades. And, um, I, it's funny it, you can imagine, I, I told you how hard it was to bring the broadheads to market <laughs> for day six. Mm-hmm, yeah. We were going to be buying, you know, 10,000 at a time you know, blades and it was still a challenge. So imagine, you know, (laughs) imagine uh, 15 years ago or maybe 12, 13, 14 years ago, whatever it was, imagine trying to buy, like get somebody to make you a hundred (laughs) blades. It was, yeah, I was going to do it. So I I got on (laughs) madeinchina.com. I swear. And I started sending pictures of these blades everywhere. And then, you know, they're like, oh, yes, sir, we can do it. Send us a sample. So I would send samples over there. Well, you can't send sharp blades to China for whatever reason. They can send them to us. We can't send them to them. Damn commies. Yeah. So I was having <laughs> to, like, like hide them in pieces of foam, and, and wrap the foam with tape, and then stick it inside of another thing that I was, you know, that was supposedly was sending over there to get made. right. And, um, so finally got the blade samples over and they all came back and they'll cost this much out of the material you want. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, minimums 5,000. I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, I only need a hundred. And so they all like quit talking to me. So then when I went back, I went back and I said, okay, how much for a sample run? And they said, we'll make you 12 for like, 200 bucks sample fee. And I said, Jeez. okay, well make me a hundred for 500 bucks. And they're like, okay. So they <laughs> made the sample run, but my sample run lasted me forever. So right. that's how I got my, my first blades <laughs> was on <laughs> made in China.com. And I think it was four forty C steel. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And, yeah. um, and it was pretty good. So, uh, so the, anyway, that's how I got into my first, trying to make my own broadhead thing. And then I was putting those in the, the, the ferrules that came with the ones I bought. And so that mm-hmm. was my Frankenstein broadhead that I shot for years. <laughs> uh, it was pretty funny, but, um, but they worked great. I mean, everything was, was great, yeah. but they didn't have that bleeder that I wanted. Mm. And, um, so, uh, so I, I, I've tried some other heads. I shot Valkyries. I really like those. And I shot Iron Wheels, and I really like those. But they both rusted really bad, mm-hmm. um, especially in my environment. And then, you know, I mean, I'm running these things through multiple animals uh, a, a lot. And the blood is so corrosive. Yeah. And, oh, uh, yeah. 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 And, and I'm learning all this as I'm going. Oh, man, I just, golly, I've got to build something that doesn't rust. So when we started our process, you know, I reached out to some just hammer down badass knife makers that mm-hmm. build like, you know, like big, like, um, uh, oh God, cleaver style knives and things mm-hmm. like that and said, okay, what are you using? And then they all came back 
every one of them came back with the same company. It was just which steel from that company. Hmm. And so that's why we, we went with the stuff from Crucible. Um, so I had to get a basically a crash course in um, a metallurgy, I guess you'd call it, mm-hmm. um, and, and figure out why the guys were using, the people that are building heads now are using what they're using and why they're not using what we're using. And, you know, it's... Uh, most of it's cost. Um, yeah. Yeah. If, if, if Quality steel honest, costs money. People don't it know does. that. <laughs> it does. And the other thing is, is that I realized that like you can't have your blades made over in Asia with a, like an American produced steel in New York. You have to buy something that's like a readily available common, like international type steel that's made all over the world. You follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I started figuring out why everybody's using what they're using and then they're spinning their sales pitch on, you know, this crazy durability. And anyway, so I, uh, that's why we went with what we went with. And, and I understood what a broadhead needed to do. And I understood that, that durability and the structural integrity is number one. Uh, I completely understood that. That's why I like a convex shape head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. A radius shape is stronger than a straight shape. Uh, yep. If it wasn't, then barrels would be square. They wouldn't be round. Bridges wouldn't be arched, so on and so forth. Yep. Um, so that's just, that's just you know, basic engineering. It's 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 stronger. So Yep. And it distributes I, that impact a lot better, too. Oh, my gosh. It's night and day. And so yeah. you, yeah. you can actually... You can actually go down in blade thickness if your shape is proper and the and the the thinner that blade is, the easier it is to sharpen and maintain a razor sharp edge. And that's how yeah. we kill is with a razor sharp edge through hemorrhage. Yep. It's yep. not blunt force trauma. So um Don't so anyway, tell that I, to some other guys in the industry. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> listen, I, I, I have I have tried to cut a back strap out of a concrete wall, can't get it out. <laughs> And if I did, it doesn't taste worth a shit on the grill. I'm not worried about shooting bark walls. Um, you know, if I can shoot through a, 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 you know, a buffalo bone or whatever and blow through it and not have a single chip, I think I'm good. Um, so, you know, I'm that. that's what I was looking for is that, that blend of what is the best. And so, you know they have these rating scales for all these different knife steels. And I started diving into that. I was very fortunate to have these incredible custom knife builders that were friends that were readily sharing their, you know, 30, 40 years of experience with me. So I was having kind of a, an abridged, you know, cliff notes version of having to understand all the different metals and their performance. Right. But there's basically four characteristics. There's there's toughness, um, how easy it is to sharpen, how good it retains its edge, and corrosion resistance. Mm-hmm. And so, like on a scale to one to ten, um, you know, uh, um, like on a scale to one to ten, let's say that a, a really popular steel that most of these guys use is a seven. Well, ours is a six. So. You know, if it's 10 per, 10% less, you know, less durable, I, I don't really care because when you go to the other three points, you know, the the corrosion resistance, ours is a 10, theirs is a 3. Mm. Um, yeah. And 
rust is the enemy number one of an edge because oh, the yeah. edge is what rusts first 100%. because it's the rough yep. then. Yep. Yeah, right. It's common sense. So, and then this, the other thing, how easy is it to sharpen? Well, ours is an eight. Theirs is like a five. Yep. Uh, how, how is it going to retain the edge? That's number one for me. How's it going to retain the edge? Ours is an eight. Theirs is a four. I'm like, okay, this is a no brainer. We're yeah. 50% better at least on all the other three categories. We're only 10% less on the durability. I'm not hunting that's basement walls, so I'm in good shape. Yeah. So that's why I went the way I went and so happy we did it. I mean, just so happy with what we've got and um, the edge that, that we're able to obtain now with these blades is just, it's amazing. Oh yeah. I can't tell you how many, pictures i have on the day six email of people cutting their damn fingers off <laughs> i mean it's just it's, it's literally stitches after stitches pictures you know like hey dude these things are sharp i'm like oh god don't sue me you know You're like, yeah I mean, it's all yeah, I no get. shit i told you that when they sent them it's, to you it's a knife yeah yeah they're supposed to be so no so i'm super happy with all that and then the other thing is is that for whatever reason everybody puts these bleeders at these really steep angles and they mm-hmm. make them super yeah. tiny and they stick the angles straight out. Well, number one, you know, when people talk about the mechanical advantage three to one, well, that shit was invented here in Alabama. That's Howard Hill stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but what he was, what he's, what he's preaching is not three to one. It's blade angle. Yeah. So if you can, if you can achieve a three to one blade angle, but you can do it um, with a convex shape and you can get to that blade angle quickly. Now you've got the combination of the two best things in the blade angle in the broadhead world. You got a, you got a, a, a Tonto point, which ours is a Tonto point. If you, if you look at it, it looks like it's radius, but when you put it over a Tonto point, it's identical angle, hmm. but we slowly radius out and then we get to that three to one blade angle, which is that's how you slice versus chop. And that's how you retain your edge the best is by blade angle. Yep. If it's slicing, the edge stays. If it's chopping, it dulls. So everybody understands that. And then they like throw all that philosophy uh, out the window when it comes to putting a bleeder on. Well, let's just stick <laughs> a bleeder on and let's stick it straight out. So now the bleeder is an anchor. It's a parachute. It's a, it, yep. it, just, it creates drag. It dulls super quickly because it's sticking straight out. And it doesn't retain its edge. So mm. it's fighting. It's all this beautiful geometry you've done to have this beautifully durable, easy edged, edge retaining um, broadhead design to maximize penetration. You're reducing it by adding on an extra that just throws all that out the window and it just sticks straight out. So that's why I wanted to have a very low blade angle uh, bleeder. And I wanted it to be the same type of, you know, three to one advantage blade angle, just like everything else, the main blade. And I wanted it in front of the ferrule because the only thing I want the bleeder to do. That is honestly one of the biggest things that when this initially launched that I noticed. Everyone else puts that that bleeder blade behind the start of the ferrule so then you have the initial tip hit then you have a ridge for the ferrule 
and then you have the the secondary blade. Yeah, and the secondary and, blade and, is at a steep angle because it's yeah, all yeah. at the back, way too steep. <clears throat> yep. Yep. So I wanted it at the front because the only thing I want that bleeder to do is I want it to open up that channel so there's zero friction for that ferrule and the arrow behind it, just yep. like the philosophy of the bigger outsert and the smaller diameter arrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing that the Less bleeder drag. does, so our bleeder is not very big because I don't want anything reducing the penetration qualities and value of a two-blade head, okay? Mm-hmm. The only reason... I did not make a two-blade head and shoot a two-blade head is because a two-blade wound will seal up just like a sandwich bag. It, it, it will seal up quicker. Um, if you have not cut a major artery, those wounds will heal up faster than you can possibly imagine with a perfectly clean slice, one groove, you know, one slice opening. Right. Um, well, it's only one adhesion that has to happen instead is. of multiple. And, and so. you've cut two perfectly, two surfaces per- perfectly clean that are going to perfectly marry right back up to each other. Yeah, especially so, if you have a sharp broadhead. <laughs> that's right. So the, the the sharpness is actually working against you on a two blade. So what you've got is, is you've got this perfectly cut hole or two going through an animal that's not a perfect hit. These animals can lay down and they will constantly lick these wounds, constantly lick them, constantly lick them. Those things will seal up, coagulate, no more blood. They pick up and move. A coyote pushes them. You don't find them. And so all I wanted to do with the bleeder is to reduce the friction for the ferrule and the arrow behind it to open up that little slot for it to go through. Mm-hmm. But to also, I wanted to break that continuous path. That I wanted to break that continuous slice that a two-blade makes. Mm. And keep in mind, I've shot hundreds and hundreds of animals with a two-blade broadhead. I have a really good sample size of what happens. And by having just that little bitty bleeder, it does just enough to, to disrupt that perfect slice, and it allows for a little bit better blood flow, and it takes a little bit longer for that wound to heal. And that's all it's for. Um and I'll tell you this, this is the God's honest truth. If I hit, if I could shoot an animal, an arrow at an animal, and halfway there I thought, oh crap, he's spinning into me. I'm fixing to hit him right in the shoulder. Right. If I could have a time, if I could have a time machine and freeze time, and I could walk out there, unscrew my broadhead and put whatever broadhead I want on it and then put it back into play, if I knew I was going to be hitting in the shoulder, I'd shoot a two-blade hit. There's no question about it. A, a straight two-blade penetrates bone and breaks bone better than anything out there. Sure. And it doesn't yep. matter if it's single bevel or double bevel. That doesn't matter. If it's a two-blade head, that's what's busting bone. So that's what I would do. So that's why I made the bleeder very non-intrusive with the design. It's just a, a, a just enough to open that ferrule up and to break the disrupt the 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 wound from a just a straight two blade yeah the other thing is is that if when i hit heavy bone if that bleeder broke off or chipped i don't care i don't i don't care if it does i want a two blade head if i could stop time that's what i would have when i hit shoulder bone right so So did you design yours to shear 
I didn't design it to shear unless it was really serious. Um, heavy bone. Yeah, heavy, very, very heavy, heavy bone. bone. Very sure, heavy bone. Sure. Yeah. So I'm shooting them through steel and they're not breaking. Um, gotcha. If I shoot them through steel and like the back half of one of the little bleeders breaks off, I could care less. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't know if you remember this or not, but the original, not the original, but the bear Razorhead <laughs> 2 that Fred mm-hmm. Bear designed, the bleeder was paper thin and it was designed to shear. It was a razor blade. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it was designed. If you go back and look at his notes, it was designed. Oh, yeah. To be yeah. A that was a away bleeder. Yep. Because if you hit bone, he didn't want it. If you didn't hit bone, he wanted the bleeder because he wanted to disrupt that single cut channel. So I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm just perfecting what the masters were doing. You just made a better mousetrap. That's it. There's there's been more animals killed with a bare razor head than anything. And it's a perfect design. If it wasn't vented, it would be the best broadhead ever. You know, but it was vented. Of course, it had yep. aluminum ferrules and that kind of jizzer jazz. But. Yeah, well, that, that's the, my my big beef with you know a lot of these trad guys that are you know oh I've I've I'll shoot you know these older style broadheads or older broadheads and you know until I'm in the grave and I'm like man I love the design I'm just not into the steel that it is like it's well, just not, not they're not durable they have weld right. points on them um, yeah. they're not they don't spin true. But it was yeah. great for its day, but there's no reason to Yeah. There's no reason to have a pull start on your on your car when you have electric start now. Yeah. Right. Times have changed, you know? Yeah. So um so anyway, I mean that's all we did was just said, okay, here's all the best products ever made. <clears throat> here's the best broadheads out there. I've shot them all and shot them all with high sample sizes. And I'm going to take the best attribute of this, the best attribute of this, the best attribute of this, and then I'm going to build them out of the baddest ass materials to the highest tolerance possible. And that's what you got. Yeah. So, and compared to some of the other things that are out there, they're not the most expensive head out there. Based on the raw not, materials, they not should at be, all. but they're not, you know? Yeah. Huh. I'd never thought, I guess I just never thought about like, if you're, if your feral is going to move up like that anyway, why wouldn't you make it like in a perfect world? Uh, if, if it could all be monolithic, right. Yeah. Uh, you would make the feral sharp to where it would cut as it went in to make it an easier Absolutely. transition. And, and that, that makes so much sense on putting that bleeder, you know, a, a low profile bleeder. Cause it looks like I'm, I'm looking at the side side view picture of it it's uh, barely bigger than that feral, but that makes a lot of sense because that's all you're doing it for is to open it up for that feral to have an easier transition into the animal and, and have no drag there. So yeah, well, it's, it's the, the, the bleeder is only, um, uh, the bleeder is only an eighth inch wider than the feral. Yeah. So it's yeah, why it ain't it's much. Only, it's not much. That's not why this, that's all I wanted. It doesn't need to be any wider than that. It needs to be just wide enough right. to reduce friction. That's all you're trying to do is eliminate that friction. And, yeah. uh, you know, and then, of course, it's breaking that wound channel. So I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many animals you guys have shot with two blades. Um, I'm sure that's what y'all hunt with. But, I mean, what I is your... I use three blade mostly. Oh, do you? Okay, well... I, I shoot... Well, I've shot Valkyrie for the last three years, so... But. Yeah, well, I mean, they're great. I shot those in 
15 or six, 16, 2016, I think. I, mm-hmm. I, I loved them. You know, I just, I'm a lazy well, person, yeah, and I don't want to sharpen broadheads till midnight every right. night. And I, I just. Well, yeah, with as much shit as you're shooting, I don't blame you at all. I remember the first time Aaron ever came to my camp in Alabama, and he came, and we sat down on the couch. And I picked up my Valkyries and I was sharpening them with a with a sharpening rod. That's what I used to sharpen them with. I found that a mm-hmm. rod was the best. Yeah, I um, use those too. Yeah, because the wheels are great, but you don't always have a wheel where you're hunting. Right. An electric wheel thingy. Yeah, a little so rod will get sharp, it sharp enough. I, yeah, but I was sharpening them with the rod and Aaron said, that's how you sharpen them. He said, I could not figure out how to sharpen those heads. You're the first person I've seen using that. And that's, so we sat there and sharpened him. He's like, yep, that's how to do it. So, hmm. um, but I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, I just, yeah. you know, I want well, something and, that's going to keep its edge through multiple animals. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, and what we talked about with sharpening being a lost art, you've kind of, uh, you've made that uh, uh, accessible for the, the people who don't have that ability by offering, uh, replacement blades at a at a very reasonable price i might add uh, uh what ooh, uh, it looks i mean it looks pretty simple to put together uh and didn't you make uh i can't see the face of the screw here but isn't that an allen of some sort i think yeah it's an allen and we actually have them made they're titanium okay Ooh. yeah no, no so here's the thing all. i think you guys have figured out what kind of creature i am now <laughs> so I designed the head around a stock screw that we could buy from a supplier, a, you know, mm-hmm. a hardened stainless screw. So I designed it. We had the blades done, the ferrules done, everything done. And the heads came in like at 101 and a half, 126, you know, <laughs> you know 151. I'm like, nah, can't do that. And there's, you know, my guys are like, dude, <laughs> have you weighed anything <laughs> else out there on the market? I'm like, no, I can't do it. They're like, do you really like think I have, it matters? It's terrible. Yeah. Do you think it matters exactly. when the field tip weighs 130 and it's supposed to be a 125? Do you think it matters? I'm like, it matters to me. Yeah. So we start weighing broadheads and I'm like, they're like, see, I mean, this one's 129. This one's 106. It's like, don't yeah, but I don't want to be like them. I'm like, that's not me. So I had titanium screws made which were a a grain and a half less so they're exactly 100 exactly 125 exactly 150 if i tell you that's what it weighs that's what it weighs Mm -hmm. and so yep i'm just and you know what those damn screws are a dollar a piece oh jesus (laughs) lord (laughs) those little tiny screws are a dollar a piece oh yeah this drives me nuts but anyway um (laughs) I'll tell you this though, you guys are big head guys, like bigger, heavier heads. Yeah. I knew that our bigger head, the XL, was mm-hmm. not going to sell a lot because it's more of a trad head. And there's not a lot of guys in the trad communities, you know, buying $30 broadheads. Yeah. Um, that's true. You know, each. Um, and I knew that it wasn't going to be a big seller, but that's the head I wanted for myself. Like yeah. I oh, man. dreamed of that head for 15 years. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. Had the, I mean, literally I've had it in my head and wanted to hold it and touch it, you know? And <laughs> yeah. so I built oh, that I head dig, I dig your XL, man. Yeah. Oh, I, I Dude, dig that. that. It's a good oh, looking I'm head. I'm obsessed with man, it. I am absolutely That feral is beefy as hell too. Uh, the oh, the back end of it. Yeah. off hell with that thing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's insane. So, yeah. um, no, I, I, I am in, 
just totally obsessed with that head. I have shot that thing into concrete walls multiple times. It takes three or four shots for it to fail. That's good enough for me. Yeah, um, that'll do. Well, yeah. and and something, and uh, I'll, I'll speak to this, um, that I don't think that some people understand uh, in, 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 when when heads are when heads will have a catastrophic failure, I guess we'll call it. Uh, it it makes more sense to me to have a head snap instead of have an extreme curl, because or at least yeah. on on a, on the front part of a blade. Because if it can snap, it can continue going and it's still sharp. Yeah. But if it I'd, has I'd an extreme curl, a, I'd rather have the tip never break. Want a head to, you'd never want a head to bend on you. Exactly. Right. That's the exactly. Case of death. You yep. do yep. not want it to bend. If Your penetration will completely stop. Completely stop. It, it won't. Well, the it won't other go thing anywhere. that it does is even if it's if it doesn't stop, it's going to deviate its path. It's going to yep. misdirect it. Yep. And so, and this is a great point. I mean, I know we're going along here a ways, but yeah, no, our our, about, our podcast is just one giant rabbit trail. It's fine. <laughs> okay. So people talk about man, I really don't need all that. I'm only shooting whitetails, and for, so what I would what I try to explain to guys is, is I'm like, man, I am more concerned with my whitetail arrows set up for my whitetail hunting, my little Alabama whitetails than I am for my elk set up. And they're like, what? And I'll I'll explain, I'll dive into this a little bit. I know that I'm going to have perfect arrow flight because I'm I'm obsessive over it. Mm -hmm. And perfect arrow flight is what translates into fantastic penetration. Yep. But on an elk, rarely are they in movement like a whitetail is. And so yeah. when you're hitting an animal that's still, you're in a lot better shape. Oh, yeah, for but sure. But with a whitetail, they move so fast and so far. What happens, and people do not even take this into consideration, if you have a, a, a shot that's too far forward in that shoulder zone where the densest part of that animal is up around the vitals, what happens is, is, is as, as that deer is moving and falling away, as soon as the arrow starts to enter, the head is immediately getting pulled out of the arrow's path, out of the travel yep. path of the arrow. Yep. It's yep. getting pulled away. So now the knock is not behind the head anymore. Yep. It's, it's basically the equivalent of having an arrow flying at an angle as soon as the deer moves. The other thing is, is that as it's going through, it's going through cartilage, meat, rib, there's all these different densities that it's going through and it's changing direction. Yep. And the only way you're going to get into the goodies and shoot through these things is with a perfectly flying air number one, but it's got to be super efficient. You cannot have any drag resistance with your head. You've got to have zero drag resistance with your arrow and you've got to have mass. Mm-hmm. Because yep. Here's what people don't understand. <clears throat> They say, why shoot a 600, 700 grain arrow? Which I don't always. You know, I'll shoot a 560 to 580, something like that. Not always. I do. I shoot a big, heavy arrow. But why would I ever want to shoot that? I'm only shooting whitetails. And I'll say, oh, I'll tell you exactly why. On most whitetails, on a shoulder impact, on a moving deer, the value you're getting as far as your mass value on your momentum calculation is usually about 50 50% is far down to 30% of what your total mass is because what happens is as soon as the head 
deviates from the path. Yeah, and all your energy is not going. pushing behind. All your energy is leading. Yep. So you go from 600 to 300, maybe down to 150. Yep. So the heavier you are, when that percentage starts getting taxed off that arrow that's getting pulled off its path, you still have mass. Yeah. But if you're shooting a 400 grain arrow and it gets whittled down, now you're down to nothing. Yeah. What, a hundred grains? 50 grains, yeah. You might as well throw a rock at him, you know? So that's what people are not taking into consideration. Everyone says, well, I'm only shooting deer. Set your deer set up to shoot dinosaurs. You'll be, then you'll be fine on your elk and your other stuff. Hell yeah. I like that. I like Talk it. Talk to Rob about a Let's, dinosaur arrow. <laughs> well, you know, I, I like my heavy stuff. But I, I really found what you just said kind of interesting because in my mind, that directly correlates to why front of center can be important. Because it, it, if it, I it, have... It, it actually, I understand oh, go ahead. what you're saying, but it actually... Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying, and I knew that was going to be the 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 tee off, you know, there. Uh, but it, but it but it actually it actually is proving my point a little better. Okay, so let's say that you got a 600 grain arrow, but 300 300 of it's on the front inch and a half, yeah. right? Okay. So what happens is is that on high FOC arrows they very quickly lose their knock is what I call losing their knock. Um, Perfect conditions fly like a dart, hit where you want them to go. Everything's great. Crosswind tail is downwind point still hits where you want it, but now it's hitting tailwind the knock downwind. Okay. That's more of a a vein tuning issue though, because as your front of center goes (laughs) up, your rear lever increases. You don't require as much vein surface area for proper control. And so you want to decrease the vein surface area, which prevents the crosswind issues. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, you know, that's where we, that's where we separate. So, um, and that's uh, fine. And, but, but, but yeah, just, yeah, just it, discussing. Yeah. I, I, I would yeah, I would like to point out that we prefaced this conversation that this was going to happen and we're we're all we're all adults we're all adults here and oh, and, yeah. and it's okay. Absolutely. Well, I, I just don't people yeah. internet they're like oh Brian and the guys on Lethal are arguing about EFOC. You know, we're just, we're just talking. We're just yeah. having a discussion. Yeah. It's fine. And people so, can disagree. Yeah, so, it's not a big deal. Yo, absolutely. And I understand the concept. And let me tell you, I, I was a believer. I mean, I was a believer, you know, in the 90s, late, late nineties, all the way through the yeah, early two thousands, yeah. I was a disciple and, you know, it, 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 and my sample size is abnormally, uh, Oh yeah. No, I, I know that you've okay. got a, a, a very large sample size to draw. Yeah, and, it, and it's not just deer and Southern stuff. I mean, it's, you know, elk and moose and caribou and Africa and Australia and whatever other pigs and critters and barnyard animals. Oh yeah. There. So, so I've, I've, I've gone through all of this and I couldn't figure out the sporadic results. And then you start entering in the variables and that's where I saw it because here's the thing. I understand exactly the concept and I understand the thought process behind it. But at the end of the day, from the feral back, if you shoot a 600 grain arrow with 300 on the front from the feral back, 
you still got 300 grains. Okay. Yep. It, 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 but in, in, in everybody's mind, they think that the high FOC, that all the weight is up there and the back doesn't matter anymore. But when it gets pushed over to the side and it doesn't hit level, you just, again, reduced your, well, that, your, that your ruins value. your, your, your critical flight factor. That's right. That's exactly right. So if it's not hitting true for any reason, whether it nicks a, a limb right before it hits or whatever, you, you've, you've basically taken all of that mass that's from the, the feral back and you've sacrificed it. Okay. So, yeah. And I mean, that's know, true with any yeah. arrow, even if it's low FOC, well, if, it, it, if, it, it is and it isn't because in, in what I have found is that, so the, the, the not, and listen, I'm not a balanced arrow guy. I'm just not yeah, a FOC yeah. guy. Okay. All right. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always going to shoot so, some FOC, but the thing is, is that what I found is with the more balanced arrows. Okay. That doesn't, that don't have the extreme FOC. That when what do you define as extreme off, FOC? I'm just, that's curious. what I was like, just going like, to ask. Like over, like over 20. Okay. okay. So you know, a- I, I, actually, I, yeah. Cause a lot of people get that confused. Like high FOC yeah. is is like twelve to nineteen, EFOC is nineteen to thirty, ultra is thirty plus. So just That's to right. make and sure I'm that a, I guess I'm that a, people guess understand. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. a I'm a twelve to nineteen guy. Okay, so so what I what I my experience with that is is that let's say that it gets nicked, ding, hit, blown by wind or whatever. The one that's a little more balanced. Let's say that you're going to get a hard crosswind. All right. Yep. So the more balanced one, basically the whole arrow pushes over the whole Mm -hmm. arrow pushes over, but it's still flying straight. It's not flying at an angle like a, like a EFOC arrow does. What's cool about an EFOC arrow on the target range is that you can have a hard crosswind. You can see the tail downwind, but that head still goes pretty close to where you're aiming. The problem is, is that you're losing that value of the weight behind it on more occasions than not. Because let's say like when we went to Africa in 2005, 2004, whatever the last year I shot EFFC was, it was blowing like hell the whole time we were there. And I was having so many penetration issues with a better setup, uh, a setup that I had obsessively set up for good flight heavier weight, heavier arrow than I had the previous trips that I was blowing through everything. Um, and it was these crosswinds were wreaking havoc on my penetration. And I had those same crosswinds when I was there previous. It's when you go over there, it's a lot like when you're going out to the Midwest, like Kansas and all, it's always blowing, always Mm -hmm. blowing. And so that's what I started experiencing. So when I came back, I started kind of, diving into, you know, what was causing it. I started reaching out to guys like y'all's buddy. That's the aeronautical engineer and guys like that to understand what's happening and understand flight projectiles and all that stuff. So that's why I've started pulling back the FOC and keeping it in a more, what I, I don't call it high. I'd say it's more of an average moderate range. I think you need 12 to 15, 20%. I think you want that. But when you go over, I think that you're creating an opportunity for a variable in 
crosswinds, deflections, things like that to have a bad experience. And that was my experience with it. So, I mean, that one trip, I think I shot either 13 or 14 animals and I got two pass-throughs. What was your, just out of curiosity, what was your setup like the whole? Okay, so I was shooting a, um, yeah, I was shooting a Morrison, I think a Morrison Cheyenne or, it was when he first started coming out with the carbon limbs and the foam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was it was sixty sixty four at twenty eight, and oh, I draw man. about twenty eight and a half. Uh, all nice. my bows have always been them. over sixty. Yeah, they've always been over sixty, and my arrow was six eighty. Uh, it was a deadly setup. I mean, it was just I was I, I was obsessed with it, and I shot that bow pretty well for a few years. Mm-hmm. But all the bows before were in that sixty range, and I was always in that you know, 10, 11 grains per pound, you know, 650 yep. to 680. What was, what was your arrow setup? Um, back then, if you can remember in a, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I want to <laughs> say it was the Beeman. Um, it was either a carbon express or a Beeman. Uh, one of the two, I shot them both, but one of them had a lighter, a lighter GPI that allowed mm-hmm. for me to get the, the heavy weight up front. Right. And I was shooting, um, the heads I was shooting were uh, the, um, oh God, what were they called before the Silver Flame? German Kinetics. Oh, German mm-hmm. Kinetics, yeah. So German Kinetics was before Silver Flame. Yep. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I was and shooting they're, those. They're back I, the, now, I guess. Oh, German Kinetics is? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I was, well, shoot, I was yeah. shooting those, and I was shooting them with the brass, you know, all that. So I was shooting yep. them. 24% to 26% FOC was my target range when I was trying to set mm-hmm. all those those arrows up for. And man, I'm telling you, on the target range, they were death. I mean, and they covered up your flaws so well, <laughs> like in your shooting. What, uh, you know? Say, so were you running a big a big feather on the back or? No, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out where the guy. tail, like the amount of tail walk and a crosswind would come from. The only thing I can figure yeah, out, like, I never was, a, you'll I get, never was a big, uh, big, big feather guy. I w- I've mm-hmm. always been a four fletch guy. Like right. you, you can look at my old arrows back 15 years and I was four yeah. fletching. And I want to say back then I was shooting four, either f- four. I can't remember what they were. Uh, by the way, I was shooting. I've been shooting veins for forever on on trad bows. I shoot feathers too, but mm. uh, I was shooting mm. four three inch dura veins. I think. Um, oh, they they fly. Gotcha. Let me let me let me let me reveal a crazy secret to everybody. Okay, you don't <laughs> need trad veins. You don't need hashtag or quote trad veins to shoot veins off of a off of a trad bow. Oh yeah. People have been, people have been shooting veins out for trad bows for a while. That's not anything yeah. new. Yeah. You don't need a specific trad vein, uh, to shoot. You can shoot a regular low profile vein and be just fine. So, yeah. um, if you ever watch uh, a super slow-mo of your arrow leaving the shelf of your bow, the contact that you think is there is not even close. Yeah. It's paradoxing around it. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yes. So, and especially, especially with the, you know, the high FOC. So, yeah. um, what I found with the super high FOC is, is my arrow length was super critical for perfect flight. So I would start say a little longer than I wanted to, 
mm-hmm. and I'd start shooting. <clears throat> I always bear shaft to start. And I would yep. start shooting and I would slowly trim that arrow until I found that sweet spot in the flex. Yep. And man, you talk about drop, I mean, dropping dimes. If you sit there and play with that length of that arrow until you're basically timing that paradox around your shelf, buddy, you can let it eat. You could shoot, you could strap a tennis racket to the front of those things and still get good groups. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. shoot whatever broadhead yeah. you want, you know? Well, and I guess that people don't get into all that. Yeah. And that, that's where like, I mean, I've went as far to, to, I guess, prove a point that fixed blades can fly perfectly fine to people. That's most of my stuff is in the mid, mid 20%. Yep. And I mean, I've went as far as strapping, uh, like a, a silver flame double XL, a nearly two inch wide, fixed blade on the front mm-hmm. of a bear shaft didn't you and flinging it 30 screw? 40 yards i have done that as well yes yeah i i i loosened the ferrule tipped the blade so that it spun all kinds of wonky and yeah. that they fly and i guess that ties back to to my point about the the size the surface area of the veins or the feathers is that if if everything is tuned that well that a bear shaft is flying perfectly and the shaft's natural flex is allowing for clean recovery, you really have very minimal control needs. Yeah, that's the way we set up everything. The the vein doesn't steer the shaft. It only offsets the planing planing of the head. That's the only thing a vein should do. Yep. Yep. That's it. And... So that's where, like, having four three-inch veins is a lot of surface area. You mean at least in, in for for me? Yeah, I'll I'll tell you why. I mean, I'll tell you exactly why. So there's a difference in what happens on the core shooting foam and what happens in the bush, in the mountain, in a tree. Oh yeah, hunting Agreed. all over the world, hunting anywhere you want to hunt. It's always yep. different. And I can tell you this that. I have shot through so much crap at animals. A lot of times you yeah. don't even know it's there because like at first light, your eyes oh, yeah. not picking up what's between You're not you picking up the the, that bush with leaves and sticks all over the well, place. Well, you know, <laughs> limbs and saplings and things. I mean, there's things that, that, that really um, you just can't see. And then yeah. there's a lot of stuff to where if you've got your setup right, you can push through some light stuff. And yep. The reason those four, four inch or four, three inch veins were back there, a reason I always have four fletch on everything I shoot is that if I encounter, if I encounter that uh, deflection between me and the animal, I want that joker to recover fast. Yep. The other thing is, yep, I can is get that, that. Yep. The other thing is, is that the tighter a projectile spins and the more air cavitation it creates around it, the more accurate it's going to be. It's mm-hmm. breaking itself loose from that surface, and it's created by rotation. If rotation was not important, rifle barrels wouldn't be rifled. They'd be smooth. So you're creating that, that air pocket around it, and the tighter you can spin it, the better, the more accurate it's going to be. The only reason people in the compound world went back to like straight veins and things like that is for two reasons. Speed, speed, 
and speed. Well, that's three. <laughs> yeah. And now there's a four reason because they're shooting wackadoodle uh, expandables. And if you smoke oh, too tight, they'll sling open, don't, you know. Don't get me started on this. Right. Shooting so, mechanicals and a 400 spine yeah. out of a 70 pound bow. So, you know, they so, got to do so something. Rob, yeah. yeah. What's going to go wrong? So, yeah. So, Rob, to answer your question, that's why they're back there is I'm wanting to create as much rotation as possible because that's yeah. maximum accuracy and the quickest recovery. Now, this is, this is what I want to say about the EFOC stuff, okay? I think you guys know I'm a detail guy. I'm obsessive yeah. about what I do. Bow tuning's the same. EFOC was born out of the traditional community. Oh, for because, sure. Because EFOC is a very easy way to shortcut the tuning of a bow that's not cut to center shot, okay, or past center shot. Mm. That's where all of this, it became this cure-all for making bad arrow flight good <laughs> because you're, you're basically breaking down that arrow and getting it around all the bows I grew up shooting. They weren't, they weren't cut past center shot. Well, you know, that's, I guess that's it, if a thing. bear shaft is coming off clean, is that, I mean, then it's clean, right? Cause I mean like my yeah. longbow isn't cut. I've got a, I've got a peg. Right. So, I mean, the only way that that bow shoots where I'm naturally pointing is if it has the correct amount of flex. That's right. And with the high Right. So FOC, either you go super light, you know, super weak spine, or you, you know, have the correct amount of weight to create that flex. Yeah, but the but the high FOC arrows create an advantage. Okay. The 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 weight up front creates an advantage to recover the, mm-hmm. the uh, yeah. you know the the paradox in the spine faster. So yeah, you're not I mean, I've properly I've, spined. You can go if it's properly spined. Yeah. Well, that yeah. that's I think that's half the problem with guys that that try and jump down the CFOC rabbit hole is there. Well, that's what I even was some, going with this. Yeah, they're they yeah. slap a 200 grain, you know, 300 grain head on the front of their 340, 400 spine. They're like, why, why isn't this working? Well, well that, yeah. and that's that's where I was headed with this, guys. Is that I'm not saying that it's not, it doesn't work. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that. For the lion's share of guys out there listening, the lion's share of guys out there watching Ranch Ferry and all these other guys with EFOC, the guys that are reading the Ashby reports and taking it as gospel, gospel, they're all great points and they're all valid points. It's not a one-size-fits-all. The lion's share of the guys that are hearing this stuff and following it, they don't know how to get there properly. And yeah. so, and, and that is an issue. It's a, it's huge a major issue. issue because the yeah. problem is, is that let, let me tell you something. If you want to shoot twenty five percent FOC, there's you have- very few setups that you can even buy to make it work. Yeah, there's very few arrows that you, shafts that you can combine with that much weight to make that number work. So when I have a guy call me that wants to buy arrows and build an arrow broadhead set up for his hunting because he's had failures, but he is adamant that he has to be over 20% FOC. That's not, he's, he's missing, well, he's missing yeah. the foundation. He's yeah. trying to start at the 10th floor of a 10th floor, 10th floor building. Right. Oh yeah. The problem yeah. is, is that most of the guys can't get there with their setups. It's just impossible. Yep. And here's the other thing. Let's, let's circle back to durability. So, in order to get an arrow shaft 
to, uh, to achieve high FOC, you have to go back to these thin, light, brittle shafts. Yeah. Don't like or, that. or you, you pull just, a me and you just go super I knew, heavy. I, I, I know. We're not talking about you. I'm just joking because like, my, my, my 126% setup is a 16 GPI shaft. Yeah. But, what, but, but what's your airway? 900 grains? 975. I was close. Okay. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. So, hey. so there's, there's it you works. and one other, there's you and one other guy that form your club. Okay. Yeah. The other 10,000 of us are trying to figure out how to build a, a normal human setup, you know, for not, yeah. you know, yeah. the Hulk. Job. Yeah. Yeah. So, what I'm saying is, is that, that the problem is, is these guys are starting with, I've got to build a 25% uh, FOC arrow. Yep. Understood. And they're, and and they're starting at the top floor, working their way down. The foundation is the is the pillar of anything. A good solid foundation is is how everything works. Hundred percent. You can't you can't start at the end result and work your way back. The problem is is these guys don't understand how to get there. They don't know that the shafts they have to buy to get there are junk. There's yeah. no other word for them, guys. Yeah, they're junk. And so when you have 300 grains on the front, we talked about this at the beginning, and that outsert ends, and you've got 300 grains out there, and then you've got a pixie dust straw behind it. Any type of deflection, angle, anything, that air is breaking right there. That's where it's breaking. Yeah. It's yeah. not going to hold can't up. Have a, can't have a brittle arrow for sure. Yeah. yeah, you can't. And the thing is, is you can't have it both ways. What I'm trying to tell guys is, is look, if there's 10 things that you're trying to achieve, I am agree with you. I'm agreeing with you on nine of them. Aeroflight, durability, mass weight. I'm with yep. you, man. We're together. But, but my thing that I always say on the EFOC stuff is, is at what cost? If, if you achieve your 25%, but everything behind it is crap. Aeroflight, durability. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's all a system. No. It all has to work together as a whole. And that's, that's right. I think, so, I, th- I think yeah. our, as, as a group, our philosophy is, is really durability and flight are number one. hundred percent. And the thing is, is that when you start taking care of like the durability concerns, with better components, stouter broadheads, and a, a stout shaft, you're unconsciously taking care of increasing your total mass. Yep. And in a lot of cases, from what's available, you're you're naturally bumping your FOC above the industry standard of 10 to 12. Absolutely. I'm okay with that. And so that is, I guess, our mentality, right? Is an improvement is an improvement and you're wanting the entire thing to work as a whole. Like, I, I completely agree with you that guys that are going, okay, I have to hit this percentage and I'm going to take this ultra light six GPI shaft to get there. That's an issue. Right. Wrong and approach. that's yeah. that's not what we're promoting. 
that's the guys that that at least that like with my business, the guys that I deal with that are getting into the upper, you know, mid 20s are building heavy stuff. Yeah, they're they're doing that with a durable shaft with, you know, and it's as to be clear, you're building an 800 grain arrow. Oh, I mean, it depends on what you're doing. I mean, that's you can like if. And it depends on what shaft you're using because, I mean, yeah. you can take like something tapered like a grizzly stick that's naturally front heavy to begin with because of the build of the shaft and have 270 grains, a 200 grain broadhead and the 70 grain, you know, insert outsert and be it's in the like low 20s, 23 percent. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's not an extreme build and that's going to be in the 600s. Yeah, but it's going to um, be in the high 600s for guys that are shooting a compound. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that, so that's not so bad. And that, yeah. I mean, it depends on what you're looking for. That's I have a lot of guys that no, are I running want people to shoot, 600, I want people to shoot right? 600 grain arrows, but you can't, you can't get them all there is the problem. Oh, no, you know? oh, no. yeah, yeah. And that, that's, and, I mean. And that's, uh, I think that's the big problem that we're currently running into is, and, and and you made a really good point, Brian, with, you know, these guys that are like, yeah, I want to, I want to shoot, you know, 25%. And then you're like, okay, well, you can get there and you can use quality products to do it, but you're going to have to be pushing, you know, 650, 700, 750 grains to do it at your specs, you know, unless right. you're like, Unless you're you've got little T Rex arms and and you can That's cut that right. thing down real short, yeah. And yeah, yeah. It, it is it is hard for for most people to do that. And I do think that if they're if the first thing they're thinking is I have to be at this percentage of FOC, uh, and, and we have people you know message the page or email us or whatever all the time. They're like, hey, I'm trying to build this to this. Uh, really, like anyone who's Let's starting take a to step wait, back. <laughs> exactly. The, when yeah. when people are starting to wade into this, I always say. Like uh, I always look at durability first, pick a durable component, pick a durable shaft, pick a durable broadhead. And then like typically when you do those things, especially with with a, a durable component and a durable broadhead, I'm personally a fan of 200 grain broadheads. I think that the 200 grain number is, yeah, go figure it. Uh, yeah. I think that the 200 grain head uh, or 200 grain range is really good because if you want to start messing around with other other types of heads, you can. Um, uh, because there's, a, there's a ton of good ones available at that weight, uh, that, you know, you're typically, you're pushing, you know, high teens, mid to high teens. And you, all you did was just build your arrow. I don't even, when people ask me like, you know, what's the, what's the FOC on your build? I don't know. I, I, I don't it's, know it's, it's, yeah. low, I, I think you it's low twenties. I think that it's like, good yeah. and that's, yeah. that's acceptable. Uh, yeah, I didn't, well, but I didn't know. I also didn't go out like wanting to build, like I have to hit this percentage. I just, I picked durable components and that whatever it ended up at is what it ended up at. And that it is what well, it is. That's right. Well, the, the, the thing is though, is that when guys are seeing data that says, if you go over 19%, your penetration is going to increase by 60%. When you well, show that, somebody I mean, that, you that's literally empirical have, data. So, it's what I, I said. It's, it's empirical data. So, I mean, it, it is valid as long as em, everything else is accounted for. Empirical? How is it empirical data? I I, I want to hear this. This is going to be good. I guess. So I mean, just explain I'm not sure what the question the, is because me. you have data comparing equal weight 
shafts with varying FOC with varying levels of penetration using the same heads. This, you know, everything except for FOC was matched. Mm-hmm. So if that's your shooting, your shooting variable, animals. Okay, so you're shooting into a variable target, a variable density target. Okay, mm, you're shooting I into mean, the realistic target. Yeah, I mean that, that's variable, depending well, on where, but it's, the, where it hits, right? Well, but the animal that was chosen was chosen because the ribs are consistent all the way across. Yeah, and let me ask you this. Um, so you're talking about same arrow, same weight arrows, right? Only thing yeah. that's the variable is the EFOC or the FOC percentage, right? Right. So, and it's all shot out of the same bow, right? Yeah, well, it's for the most part. Yeah. Well, well I don't yeah, think for those shot, tests, I yes. Think, I mean, different sets of tests for different bows. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think they're all shot out of the same bows if you go back and read through them. But anyway, I'm not going to argue that point. My thing is, yeah, is they, that, they were, but yeah, yeah. So, but I guess my thing is, is, is how do you, how do you, um, see how I can put this where it's easy to understand. How do you factor in the arrow flight between the different test arrows with different FOC? How do you, how do you factor in how the arrow flight is? Well, I I guess I know. know How do you know that the one that's the, the high EFOC is the one that's been perfectly tuned and not flying perfectly, and the one uh, that's m- a lower is not flying perfect. To my understanding, they were all bear shaft tuned before testing was done. Yep. Yeah. That's. I mean, Same. that that's the procedure that uh, that I've been told. Uh-huh. I guess from the source. So, right. um, I mean, and that goes back to if if it, a bear shaft is flying, then it's tuned, right? I mean, yeah. you can't have cleaner flight than a clean bear shaft. Yeah. So let's let, but this is what, I guess this is one thing that I want to clarify is that it is, it is results from one source. So I mean, I don't know if you call that empirical, but I mean, I guess it's empirical evidence from that one study. Does that make sense? So, Um, and and that, yeah, I I get that point. Um, is there another test? Is there another set of data that's, you know, been published or there's not, and I guess that's the problem, right? (laughs) That is the problem. Is, is I'm, I'm a data guy. Like, so, and I, I completely get where you're coming from. I I completely agree that, that flight is key. And if the way that you want to set things up means that a little bit lower front of center is going to give you better consistency because of the, the size of veins you want to run or whatever the case is, then sure. yes, you want that clean flight. hundred percent. Not going to argue that at all because I, I agree with it, mm-hmm. but from a data perspective, if the flight is clean, then I need, I need data showing me that, it doesn't work because I have data saying that it does from one and okay. But we have, we only have one source to go by, right? I mean, it's one source over 30 years with, I mean, tens, you know, over 10,000 
you know, data points being trended. So I, I mean, until someone else puts 30 years in and, and has contradictory info, I mean, those, those tests and data collection is still ongoing and everything is still matching the same trends. Mm -hmm. So, and that, and that's not the same source. I mean, doc is no longer testing it himself. Sure. I understand the foundation is sure. Um, But in, in, and they've welcomed opposing data. Yeah. They, and they, they the want, thing. if, if other people have no, it, they no want one, it to. No one's, no one's taken the time to do it's the problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you look at bullets and you can, I mean, you've got ballistics data across the board. I mean, you yes. can, if you want to know what this round versus that round, different weights, I mean, you've got tons of data there. You know what, you know what Arrows the problem we is don't, for me? This is, this is the problem for me. The problem for me is, is that I, I've done the testing. Uh, my sample size is substantial, uh, live and you know non-live targets. Um, yep, I, I've done all the testing myself. I, I know what the variables are. I eliminated the variables that were in some of the first tests. Um, if I'm being honest, <laughs> I, I don't know that that picking that battle is one that I really want to pick because I don't want to, you know, and this is basically laziness or cowardice on my part. I'm openly saying it. I don't want to get into the debate and I don't want to create, I don't want to create a team or an opposing team. You you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, sure. I, I don't worth, think it's that not worth it to me. What I, what I, all I want to do is say, there's some really good points there. And I agree with 99% of them. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't hang your hat on that 1% because there's so many other things that are more important. And if you well, have and, to and that goes focus back on to, that one to, and you sacrifice everything else, yeah, then you're doing a disservice to the, to the community as a whole. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we agree on that. Like, yeah. like we well, said yeah, before, it, it's a full system. You, you have to have everything working together. What are you saying, Garrett? Uh, even even on so like, you know, even on the FOC thing or EFOC, whatever you want to say, uh, oh. we don't disagree because so we take in so we like we said, we build for structural integrity and aeroflight. Those are one and two. So there's you know per the Ashby studies or whatever, there's twelve more penetration factors, but one That's and two are ten, still ten more. Or 10 more. Yeah, sorry. There's yeah, 12 total. Yeah. Yep. Um, one and two are the most important. You cannot sacrifice one and two to implement a different, like any of the yeah. other 10. Anything if you sacrifice, else, yeah. so like if you sacrifice Aeroflight to gain FOC, like you're screwing yourself. So like, yeah. So, yeah, but that's you not, know, when I, that's not the message that's getting out there because you got to realize how people It's interpreted. Perceive- it is right. It's perception, but it's it's interpreted it different. But it's also not how it is interpreted is not necessarily how it is being explained. Well, and that's some, part of the battle. Some of the cases, like, you know, that's, that's being part of why we explained really poorly, <laughs> right? That's Which is my that's point. <laughs> right. That's one of the reasons why we exist. Like that's why we wanted to have you on, is so like people can hear us talk to you and be like, listen, 
we are pretty close together. Like, yeah, yeah I might shoot like we we really like. So I went from I actually shot a super light, not super light, but I had a light GPI shaft for two years. And like I started to I didn't get screwed by a durability issue like I didn't. I had an arrow break like the last 10 inches after it went through something. But right. after that happened, I'm like, mm, I don't want that to happen on the first 10 inches when I shoot something. So I went like dropped FOC. I didn't sack, like I didn't have bad arrow flight through any of it, but I dropped my FOC to gain structural integrity. Yeah. And I like that setup, but you know, like you, you have to pay attention to the first two, which I understand like your frustrations, especially cause you have put so much time into building the system that you have to, and then to you hit have those people, first two, like, right? To hit those first two, yeah, which are the most important. And then you have people call you and be like, "Well, no, 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 I have to have this." It's like that's no, you don't. Like, I, we understand your frustrations. Yeah, yeah. What's well, like, and, and you know, it's th- these guys are wanting to take a Ferrari engine and put it in a Volkswagen. Yeah, yeah. it's you know doesn't, you're going to go spend all of this money and then you're going to put it on an arrow that's not going to hold up to what you're shooting. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. said it like we have a, is they're going to, they're going to sacrifice tuning because guys, the, uh, these guys cannot, they, the, the masses have a hard enough time tuning their bow as it is. Right. Right. And then when you introduce this, that's nine times out of 10, they're going to, you know, under be under spine because they've added so much weight and they don't understand dynamic spine. Yeah, right. that when they add this weight up there, they're not going to figure out why they can't get good flight. Yeah, and it's right. and it's and, and it becomes a super sensitive system. So you've got this super sensitive system that when you introduce any variable from hand torque to crosswinds to a limb, their system is like a top that's spinning perfect, and you barely touch it, and it blows out of control because it's totally out of whack. If you know what you're doing and you can spend the time to invest to build a 25% EFOC arrow and get it perfectly, you know, to fly perfect everything. I don't think it's going to be any better, but it's nothing wrong with it and it's not going to be a problem at all. It's just right. that they can't it's get there, guys. It's yeah, I mean the majority and of people getting fed the information that that's where they have to start. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, and that's with the the recent explosion in uh I guess people talking about this, that's been something that we've been discussing mm-hmm. a lot because it it's our, our, one of our biggest concerns is, I mean, we've been talking about this stuff and we've been testing and, and working at, you know, growing the, a better arrow movement for years. I mean, and now that things are gaining traction, it's like we're seeing really bad info getting super bad, you know, put out through these giant microphones on you know these different platforms. Yep. And the people using those megaphones either don't truly understand what they're talking about, or are not explaining it well enough that they're causing just mass confusion. And the, the fear there is that you're going to have all of these people taking their 
you know, current arrows that are probably underspined to begin with because half the shops, you know, are throwing guys at 70 pound bows with, you know, 400, 400. spine shafts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and then they're going to try and throw a 150, 200 grain broadhead on the front and then wonder why it yeah. doesn't work well. Not going to have a good time. You know, no. And and that's I mean, that's been a huge concern of ours yeah. with the recent blow well, up. I'm living it. I bet. I know. We deal with it. We deal with it a lot. And I guarantee that yours is at least 10 times worse than what we have to deal with. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Well, we, and, we and are trying to, we are trying to make it less bad. I spend, no, well, all of us spend a lot of time on Facebook and whatnot, just correcting people. Like, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. Yeah. Well, I it's guess like, what I, I want to, what I want to say to you guys is that, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't argue from a position of theory. Um, I don't do that. I, I have 100% done my own testing at a very high level. Yep. But I do not want to get myself or my company involved in this battle over a minute detail. Yeah. Right. Because the minute detail, you talk about a, a mountain out of a molehill. That's what this is all about. And I, I'm not going to drag myself in my company into that. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay focused on what our mission is. And oh, yeah. guys come to me and they well, want to, you know, I'll, I'll do my best to steer them in the right direction and get them what they need. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I'm not going to make my stand uh, and die on this hill. I'm not dying on the EFOC hill. Completely agree. Bigger fish to fry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, and I think we do as a... I'm just arguing to be arguing. No, no, we we get it, and that's you know, like like we said, I think we we agree on an overwhelming majority uh, on 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 just about everything here, and, I think and it really, is everything I, I other think other than so, like we, uh, you said, you know, if you can get it to tune, the EFOC is fine, and we also like we we know that because we can do it, but a majority of people can't. Yeah. And we also know well, that. And, and, that's, and, that's, and that's not, and, and, that's already understood. But trying to and, explain that to people, it's like, you can't do that. Sorry. Like, but you can't. I can, but you cannot. Yeah. But it, and that's, like, people don't want to listen to you. When I talk about having, you know, verifying clean flight with, with those kind of setups, right? Like you're, you're 15 to, you know, 20%. I'm not overly concerned on, on the crosswind stuff. You get into the EFOC stuff and like, especially for guys that haven't dealt with it before, like what I consider, you know, vein tuning, check, checking your, uh, what your veins are doing to you, um, is that's not just controlled indoor, you know, shooting that's going out when it's all blustery and windy and shooting into the wind, shooting across the wind, shooting with the wind behind you and seeing what it does because yep. that's hunting, right? And so if it's not flying well in those situations, something needs to change. Either either you need to, you know, correct the, you know, the vein surface area and get it so that the the wind isn't got this, you know, 
big old sail to to push around that light tail, or you go the other route and you redistribute your weight in such a way to reduce the effect, right? Both both options get to the same end point. It's just, in my mind at least, it's a matter of preference at that point. It um, is. I guess and, my point is, is that, you know, whether it's empirical or not, when guys think from going from 19% to 22 or 18% to 22 is going to increase their penetration by 60%, they're going to go through, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to go through the depths of hell to try to accomplish that. Sure. And my point is, is that you don't have to go through all the, 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 vein tuning and all that stuff if you've got a decently high foc it's fine that three to four percent foc is not going to make 60 percent of difference maybe i'm wrong my testing says i'm not but you know I, i haven't written thousands of pages so but i can tell you this there's been a lot of animals a lot of animals that have had arrows go through them and you know, we've had cattle available to us since I was a kid, and cattle die. It's just a fact of being a rancher. Yep. Mm-hmm. And when they die, guess who gets them? <laughs> and oh, that's yeah. that. And 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 that is, you know, I I don't know how many I, I've done, you know, for that. So it, it's it's this thing to where a guy gets this perfectly flying arrow that's seventeen, eighteen percent FOC. And he is just, he is in the best shape he could ever be in. But he feels like if he doesn't have that extra 4%, he has an inferior uh, projectile. And yeah. that's, and that's, that's I, yeah, I mean, that's a misinterpretation of data. Anyway, yeah, right. that's, I, I think that's where people get hung up on, on one number. And that's, that is an issue completely. Like, we don't, absolutely. so. When I first started shooting heavy arrows, I dealt with like the masses of people that were hung up. Like at that time, it was like 650 was the big hang up. If you weren't shooting 650, you weren't shit. Like, well, I don't, I don't like that trajectory. So I don't want to shoot that heavy right now, but I still had to deal with it. But then, you know, I got perfect arrow flight, good FOC. I had, I was confident in my setup, had no issues killed quite a few things with it yeah and i'm like oh well well, i don't know what you guys are talking about but (laughs) this worked just fine (laughs) so yeah and yeah i understand the people get hung up on things and it it just gives them a hyper focus that can be detrimental yeah if they don't understand it it can be right i will give you all some really quick data here and we'll i'm not sure you guys need to get off but um I will give you something that is that is totally tested that I've been playing with with my personal setup that I think you might find interesting and maybe your your listeners will. So um, I built two arrow setups this year for a seventy pound Matthew Verdicts twenty nine inches. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, and what I wanted to do is I wanted to build uh, two sets. I wanted to build a five hundred and fifty grain arrow. Uh, two 550 grain setups and two 650 grain setups. Okay. So I built a 550 grain setup with 12% FOC 
and I built a 500, 550 grain arrow with uh, 19% FOC. That's as high as I could get with our stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then I built a 650 grain, two 650 grain arrows, one with 12, one with 19. I think you'll find this interesting though. So the way I set, the way I set my compounds up is bulletproof, just like my trad bows. I have a whisker biscuit. Don't laugh, but I've hey, shot, nothing wrong with that. I've shot one drop away rest in my life. It was this year. Had one encounter with an elk, one failure. Slung it out <laughs> in the woods. Put the whisker biscuit back on. I knew better. That's fair. Changed my mind. Went right back to what I know is fail safe. <laughs> My site is a custom-built site that I made. It is a one-piece site. It's the distance I like it away from the riser. Single ring, single pin, no screws, no knobs, no sight tapes. One pin, fixed. Bulletproof. We beat the living crap out of our stuff, okay? Yep. So, and the way I sight my bows in is I sight them in just like a rifle. I have a zero or point on. My zero on my bows is 25 yards, and I've been shooting the same weight arrow and the same feet per second out of my compounds for about four or five years, so I just know the trajectory so well. I keep <laughs> This it sounds there. very familiar for me. Yep, and what I'll do is, is I'll adjust my bow weight to get my speed to match what it's always been with a you know 560 grain arrow. So, because mm. I don't care what the nominal weight is. I, mean, I don't care if yeah. it's 69 or 70. I could give a shit. I just want the speed to be the same because I want my trajectory the same. So my point on is 25. My high point of my trajectory is 3 inches at 15. And my low point of my trajectory is 3 inches at 30. The end of the world is 30 for me in bow hunting. When it comes to whitetails, 25 is really the end of the world. I will shoot a Midwest whitetail at 30 because they're a little dumber. Um, and then, Not wrong. And then if I'm elk hunting, 40 is the end of the world for me, okay? So that's how I sight my bows in. So what I did was is I built uh, a 550, what's well, actually a 560 because that's my arrow that I hunt with. Two 560 setups, 112%, 119. Two 650 setups, 112%, 119. So when I shot the two arrows, the, the, the 560, the... Um, uh, trajectory was the same, the three up, three down on the 560 with 12%. When I went to 19, the trajectory was three up, dead on 25, five down at 30. So I lost two inches of trajectory on average, okay? When I went to the 650, this is what's interesting. When I went to the 650, uh, 12% FOC, and I was three up, dead on at 25. So my, my high trajectory was the same. My dead on was the same. And my uh, 30 trajectory went to five. So it was the same amount of drop that the 560 was with 19%, which was, a, a to me, I was going, I think I'm going to go ahead and bump up to this 650 grain setup because it flies perfect and I'm only losing two inches of drop past my point on of, of 25. Mm -hmm. When I put that same 650 grain arrow on with 19, it went to nine. Literally it just, the bottom fell out. 
So, and the the high FOC arrows are are spined correctly, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I promise you, I've got them. I've got them. Oh no, that's I'm, I'm assuming that yeah. you you looked yeah. at it. So just... I'll tell you how I do. I tell you how I do that process. Okay, so every one, all four of the test arrows were spine adjusted to match a fletched arrow. Does that make sense? So for every test arrow I built, I had a matching fletched arrow, and the way that I bear shaft tune these is I will basically make my adjustments until I put the bear shafts and the fletched arrows in the same hole at 30. And what you and have the same going, angle impact. Oh, absolutely. Well, no, they're straight. Okay. No, it just, just very angles of impact. Oh yeah. 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 No, if it's at an angle, it doesn't live in my world. So Perfect. it's straight and they're, and they're in the same hole. And what happens there is, is like we were talking about earlier. Now the only thing the veins doing is steering ahead. If you put it on, so you really don't need veins, and that's the perfect arrow flight. Um, yep. So all of those had a matched, fletched partner that I would basically go through that tuning process before I shot the trajectory test. So I was I was literally moving rest, you know, adjusting the 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 length, you know, to adjust the spine a little bit. I was doing everything I could to make that setup actually match in weight, but also match spine and fly perfect. It was a pain in the ding ding. But I got it, and it's it was amazing what the high FOC drop was. See, I didn't think it was that bad. That just it doesn't make sense to me because I've oh. done similar tests, and I mm-hmm. I have never seen that. Well, it was yeah, well, clear as well what, for me. Interesting. Yeah, well, we had a another listener, completely unrelated, uh, a trad guy, and he posed a question in a in a group and. Uh, I messaged him about it and he was like, well, I'm about to do this test. We'll see. And he basically, he had four arrows, I think that were like 12, 19, 22 and 30% or something like that. Yeah. Maybe it was 16. Well, I didn't and, go over and, 19. Yeah. Yeah. And, yep, but yep. The, he was, he was just doing using his point on as his mm-hmm. reference. He has, you know, he was shooting a trap bow and, uh, uh, got them all there within, I think he said they were within six grains of each other. Uh, and, uh, and uh, I, I, he said they were the same length. I don't know how he pulled it off, but apparently so. Uh, and and he said he was getting like his point on changed on that thirty percent to be like seven yards further on, on the on the thirty percent, and it, and it would it would go up increment incrementally. So he's saying uh, he got better trajectory with the thirty percent. Yes. FOC? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and that's the same well, thing I that I see. I guess it's all different. You know, I mean, I I, I I'm always going to do these tests with a compound. Yeah. I'm never sure. And that's with a trad bow. For, yeah. I, 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 I completely understand that. And that makes it, it's, yeah. it's a machine. It's a lot yeah. easier to reproduce. And even though results. I am a, yeah. a trad shooter, I'm not ever going to perform tests with them. Yeah. Uh, that, sure. That's, that's yeah. No, I totally get that. Like the yeah. test that I did a couple years ago was I was using a, uh, a lab radar system, um, which is a Doppler chronograph. Right. Um, and what I was doing was I had matched weight shafts um, with varying FOC levels. Um, and I was looking at what the downrange speeds were um, along with impact. And matched weight the higher the FOC got, 
the less speed that the arrow had lost at 20 yards. And this was repeated at, I did 400 grain arrows, 500, and then I had some that were like 650 uh, as my heavy set. Well, and it was speed the speed shouldn't change. It's recovery. The faster yeah, the arrow recovers, time. the less drag that's created, the less speed that's lost during that recovery phase. Right. I mean, I understand what you're saying because it's less drag because it's flying true. Yeah. Yeah, as I soon as it's actually recovered, saying. right? Yep. And I mean, these were all tuned. That's the shafts was were this, coming were these out. Was out stick bows or compounds? Compounds. Compound. I got you. And this was all hooter shooter. That's, yep. it's, I mean, everything was flying clean. I mean, verified the same way that we just discussed. Yep. And... The only difference was the FOC. So I, I, that's that's the only and difference I, mean, I had, and the only thing I can think of is that it was, you know, my thought was I never I never even dreamed that the speed was changing. You know, my thought was yeah. is that it was it was you know trying to create a knock high flight. You see what I'm saying? Like it kept yeah. But it would only do that if it were underspined. Yeah, well, yeah, I see what you're saying. But, On a compound, uh, knock high typically does come out as as a weak reaction. Weak. Yeah. That's correct. It's, it's well, it depends on well. There's a lot of different variables there. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a lot can, of variables we, there depending please, on yeah, the rest we, and everything else. Yeah. But can we please yeah, get we the, can avoid old, the old yeah. Eastern charts that are based off finger shooters, like off the internet forever? That'd be great. If we can oh, the that. left and rights. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, it's it's knock left. It's weak. It's, no, stop it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, the knock high is usually going to be indicative of that. But the thing is, is that, you know, I, that's the only thing I can think of is that it was trying to go knock high and that's what was creating the low trajectory. Yeah. But when you've got a bear shaft and a fletched arrow hitting in the same hole, each different setup, you, you feel like you've got it pretty dialed. Yeah. I mean, you almost no, can't I, I get you. anymore. I you get know? you. And so, uh, you know, and I did adjust arrow length a little bit, because I had to to get the spines right, yeah, the dynamic spines right. That's, I, I mean, I'm assuming. I mean, if you're using the same shaft, then I mean, because on a compound too stiff isn't really a concern. No, um, but I, I, I couldn't but, use the exact same shaft. Each each set had to be like a 300 and a 250. Right. You'd yeah. Have to ch- you said I'm saying you'd have to change yep. the the weight configurations to make it work. Yep. So. Um, but no, yeah. I had no, and that's it's and complicated. I I completely get that because I've see, I've tried doing this it is before. What we and, do, and we're and we're it's complicated to us. And then you've got yeah. guys that have no clue that are trying to. Do yeah, it. they don't even know no, where to start. I I get it. More often yeah, than not, so. we are telling people to go up one at least two spines, put some, <laughs> you know, around two hundred grains on the front, and go shoot your bow. That is really yeah. what we tell people a majority of the time. Yeah, well, if we think, know I that, think like, we'll, if we're talking to a person, we can tell that like they actually do know what they're talking about. Then we can help them, like help steer them to get that the more finicky stuff to tune, the more involved stuff. If they're a nerd like us, then we can tell pretty early on. But yeah, that is I, not I, the norm. I don't, I don't want. The, I don't want the finicky stuff. I'm not looking for the Ferrari. Well, I say <laughs> I finicky by. Yeah, I just say finicky because yeah. like 
I'm a nerd and I can well, figure it techie, out. What's a techie but, deal is what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it, like, yeah it's yeah. the I like the mousetrap, so I keep trying to figure it out. Yeah, but I, I, well, I wish not, I could. I wish I could not for keep the my compound heart. as simple as my recurve. That'd be nice, yeah. but that's right. not how the world yeah. works. I, unfortunately, I, I got I got into I got into I got I started shooting a recurve because I was like I'm tired of this tuning this compound crap. I'm gonna go with something easier. Boy, was I in for a wild ride. Um, <laughs> but but I I, I think uh, all, all this to say I think that we're in a unique time in the industry right now where people are starting to care less about speed, which I think is great. Uh, maybe hope, hopefully by the time that this is released, we're going to have our new sloth arrow, uh, shirt available. Thanks to, uh, a, a certain someone and, uh, yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll tell you about that after we're done recording, Brian. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and I think we, we are in this unique time where I think that everyone who is just for the quote unquote, like better arrow movement like has to band together and we have, we can't, we can't yeah. create these set, these separate tribes. Like we've, we've got to like, really like I like a heavier arrow and I like higher front of center, but really like my goal right now is to get people to 500 grains and like 15% or higher. That's my goal. Like if, if yeah, I, you, if, if we can get understand. people to that, yeah. then great. We're, we're yeah. going somewhere and the rest will exactly. come later. Like I'm not exactly. worried about it. That's right. And now you know why I don't want to, basically make a stand on something. Oh, oh yeah. Sure. I, mean, no, I, 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 I 100% I don't, I don't want to get it from your side. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to derail the train. If I, if yeah. I can get them yeah. to buy into nine out of the 10 or 11 out of the 12. Yeah. I'm a happy clam. That's I mean, the, uh, absolutely. We also 90% of the builds that I help get people into are very similar to the numbers that you get with your system. Yep. That's you're, you're looking high 400s to mid 500s with a, a moderate level of FOC with 100 or 125 grand head at the front of it. Yeah, well, I don't I don't I'll tell you this Done. and anybody that's listening to this. You know, if you call me, you better believe I'm going to be getting I'm going to be doing everything I can to get your ass out of 400 into 500 grand plus. Yeah, that is I'm, I'm there with you. Is, and, and I don't care if you're a kid. Or a female, or whatever. It's if more important for them. I want, yes, I want exactly. to do it heavier. I want you yes. shooting the, the the heavier arrow than I do. If you're generating yes. low energy, yes. so you know if you're looking for a 400 grain arrow, don't call me. Yeah, you know, yep. stop. Don't call us either. Not we our not our pig, you. not our farm. <laughs> but but the, I want to get guys into heavy arrows because it's not just the weight. It's it's the stability, it's the accuracy, yeah. it's everything yeah. about everything it better, and it's yes. better for the masses. Yep. Yes, you know, yeah. go stand on the line and shoot the the bales with your perfect form and your fir- perfect feet placement and everything perfect, and then follow me around in a swamp shooting hogs all day. <laughs> go go twist yourself into a pretzel, you know, trying yeah. to shoot off the ground yeah. behind yourself. Yeah. yeah, go get in a tree stand and try to shoot, you know, shoot a deer that's looking at you, you know, 15 yards behind you and below you and you're twisted up in a tree stand. Yep. You yep. better have a setup that's going to perform there because it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what happens on phone. Completely. Yeah. You can't put the phone. Well, and I group. think that's something. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't taste very good. Um, 
and I think that's something that's lost on a lot of people. And I think it's, you know, what you were touching on earlier is that like mass, like you're the amount of penetration potential that you have is a hundred percent based on mass. Yes. Everything else 100%. is just, is just what taps into you utilizing that mass as yeah, much as your possible. Right. And, and you know what, like if you're shooting 600 grains and you're 12% or if you're shooting 600 grains and you're 30%, I don't give a shit. Like, like you're, you're probably going to be fine either way. Uh, uh, but I, you know, I, I think, like I said, as a, as a community and as kind of the people that have the, have the microphones, uh, in this, uh, uh odd time in the, arch- in, in the archery, in the archery industry, uh, I think that we, we just need to push like keep pushing that way like just just shoot heavier just shoot a little bit heavier shoot a little bit heavier it's not it's not a big deal so well you know i guess what i'll leave you guys with is that this year just so people understand like what i mean when i say set everything up the same don't worry about what the animal is i can tell you that out of uh um oh gosh make me do math here <laughs> 28, 29, 30. Oh, well, I did. not counting hogs because I can't ever keep up with that. Okay, it's, it's <laughs> I just can't keep up. But anyway, um, not counting hogs, just ungulates. I shot thirty animals this year. Yeah, and the only animals that I did not get complete pass-throughs on were do- white-tailed does. Yeah. And I know people are twitchy. They're twitchy Twitchy little things. Yeah, they're like, dude, you're a terrible salesperson. (laughs) Well, you know, I shot through I shot through the shoulder, both shoulders of my of my elk right at forty yards, like thirty nine yards. Yeah. Shot through the shoulders of my mule deer, Midwest white tails, they didn't run fifty yards. My my bucks out there, they were big body deer. Um everything was great. The spinning twitchy nags of the south (laughs) oh yeah and if it was out to that you know 20 to 25 yard range and they had enough time to get their legs under them and get that spin going those are the ones i didn't get through i will say that that every out of the 30 animals i shot this year every animal i did have the broadhead come out the other side I feel yeah. good about that. I got two holes on every animal I shot this year, yep. but those spinning does, about five of them, it was almost like equal amounts sticking out both sides of their shoulder. Yeah. And, and it was only, you know, of course they didn't run anywhere, but they were, you know, they were easy You watch them fall. But the problem is, is that when the target's moving, it's 10 times worse than a stationary. Oh, it's so much more resistance. Size. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I just don't want guys to think I don't I don't want them to go away from this conversation thinking, well, I'm just shooting whitetails. I don't need all that shit. Well, it's and that's really where you need it the worst. Yeah. yeah. I Twitch mean, animals. you look across the board at social media, 90 percent of the time you're seeing posts on failed attempts to shoot whitetail. That's it. So whenever someone says, oh, well, I'm just shooting whitetail, I'm like, do you not go online? Like that, that is the most common failure. (laughs) And it's because they're, they're, they're shot 50 to one over every other. Yeah. I I get that. But it just is like, 
I don't care if it's just a whitetail. Be prepared. Yeah. Shoot a better setup. If you want to know what your setup does, go shoot hogs. Yep. Because I'll put a hog hogs up are fun. against, uh, but their 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 body density and their structure, I'll put them up against anything that walks around North America. Yeah. I mean, they yep. are the toughest thing to get penetration on because now you've got an ultra dense animal, high carb high cartilage content. Wire for hair, super. They're just, they're just blade killers. Oh yeah, they're yeah. so wiry. And their half the time they'll so be caked thick. in mud. Yeah, that's right. High cartilage. They've got everything working against them. They're dense, and I promise you this: they're not going to be standing still when that air hits them. They are juking. I mean, they're putting yep. the matrix on you. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, those things. You get where you move. Can destroy hogs, and you're going to have a bulletproof setup and. That's where the rubber meets the road for me. I mean, when I've got something new, I'm headed down into the swamp and we're driving on hogs. I mean, that's what we do. I mean, I'm leaving tomorrow to go shoot hogs for three days because I've got some stuff I'm playing with. But wow. I mean, that's that is our testing ground is hogs. I mean, they're always there. It's a good testing they're ground. Always available, and they're going to tell you what's wrong with your gear. That's their job. I mean, they, yep. they just, they're tough. So, yep. and their hogs are all over now. People can get to them easy, you know? Yep. They've got them in California and Arkansas and all over the South. I mean, there are hogs everywhere. And they're just, they're wonderful, affordable animals to hunt, to, to understand what your setup's doing. I, I just think people should take more opportunity to go hunt those than they do go some of the other stuff, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. But, well, uh, Brian, I've I think- i it, guys. Yeah, no, I think we've, I think we might've set a record, uh, for our longest one so far, but it's been, it's been great. It's I'm, been I'm good. very, it's been yeah, good. I'm, I'm very, uh, very happy that you're able to come on and chat with us. I know it's probably, it's probably super late there, but, uh, oh, geez, really, really, yeah. Re- yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, I really appreciate you, uh, uh, sitting down chatting with us. I think this, uh, uh, a great discussion. I, I think that uh, uh, you, you make, like I said, I think one of the first messages I sent to you was, uh, you know, we, we have our recommended list of products. And I think that there was two manufacturers where we recommend uh, uh, arrows and broadheads and, and you were one of them. And there was a reason for it because I think you make a, a very quality product and I have absolutely no qualms about uh, recommending it to people. So uh, I, yeah, man, of course, of course. Uh, so, and, and I, I don't know, I think I said it before, but I'm going to say it on, uh, on air. Uh, thank you so much for donating some broadheads to the, uh, summer shooting challenge. They were, uh, won by a 16 year old kid that literally beat everybody. Uh, and he was like one of the first entries. So that was really cool yeah. to see him, uh, yeah. uh get those well, heads. And I'm he, sure he, he put them to use, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah he, he killed, killed a couple things he, with them. He killed year. a couple things already with those things. What was his yeah. name? Uh, uh, Davenport Gage. was his last, yeah, Gage Davenport, Gage yeah. Davenport. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a stud. I think he got some other stuff, too. Like, when he said, you know, I reached out to him, he's like, man, what can I get, you know? Yeah, what else can uh, I get? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I think he bought some stuff. I mean, I think he was like... Yeah, really right, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's... Uh, that. Yeah, I mean, he should be. Kids, kids, a stud. We had, we gave all sorts of people the opportunity to win these things, and he was like the first entry, five out of five at sixty yards, just boom, all together, pretty with a heavy arrow too. He did, he did good. So, uh, once again, you thanks. Know, I appreciate you, Brian. Oh, no uh, and uh, and I'm always happy we to help. Yeah. It. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we'll we'll talk soon. All right. 
All right, bud. You, you, you got to show us all the all the other cool stuff that you're going to shoot hogs with tomorrow. So <laughs> yeah, <it> sounds good. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Thanks again. See you guys. Thank you guys for sticking around until the end of the episode. So now I'm going to give you the promo code uh, to get 25% off. So use code lethal at sportsuds.com. Get 25% off your purchase. Get rid of that odor. Completely eliminate that food source for the bacteria. And don't light up like a damn Christmas tree with the UV dyes they put in the other stuff. Use sportsuds and hit the woods with confidence. Again, that is sportsuds.com and code lethal for 25% off.